Hey everybody, what's up? Yes, I'm dropping another disclaimer at the beginning of the show, which means that something is up. This episode is a long and wild ride. This is probably the longest normal, well, single episode that I think I've ever done on this show. The reason why is this story has a lot to digest in it, and there was really no clear point for me to cut it and make it into a two-part episode, so I'm just going to run it as one whole episode. We have Nathan Isaac on here, who runs the Penny Royal Podcast, which is an eight-part episode, uh, an eight-episode show about this really strange region of Kentucky, and even though we do this show for about two and a half hours, we only scratch the surface of some of the stuff that he's gotten into there. It's such, such a weird, weird story. But um, you might want to consume it in halves. You know, don't if you want to listen to it all the way through, great, go for it. But there's a lot of information to process here. So my recommendation, listen to half of it, take a break, go do something, come back and listen to the second half of it the next day. But as always, for some of you people, this might not be your cup of tea and you just might tune out and go and listen to another episode. Again, as always, that is fine. But this is a crazy, long, weird show. So, uh... Let's just jump right on in and see where this takes us. Hello? Hello? It's all around us. Alright, so welcome back everybody. This week we're going to have Nathan Isaac on the show and with me is my buddy Yashira here, who's Hello. a paranormal investigator and uh, I don't, well, you do just about everything except for UFOs, I think. You do ghosts, hauntings, um, pretty much everything but UFOs, correct? Have you? Uh, it, you yeah, any kind of cryptids, uh, folklore, uh, mythology even, and I have stumbled into the UFO realm, but I've not really delved in too far. And you travel. You go all over the place investigating all kinds of shit everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I think the most I've traveled so far is about 11 hours by car. Man. So you're here tonight to interview Nathan Isaac with me. Nathan Isaac has this podcast. He contacted me out of the blue and said, hey, I've got a story that I'm interested in telling. Here is my podcast. I think it's eight episodes long, and it's called Penny Royal. And it's about this region in Kentucky. I think it had something to do. It was, I think this was going on the same time the whole Halir thing was going on when they started season two up. Because this guy actually appears in the fourth episode of season two of Halir, I believe. And this is one of the weirdest stories that I've ever come across. It's about this region of Kentucky and all of the strange shit that goes on in this region. And you've got magic in here. You've got 
people that don't exist or didn't exist that are like taking up residence that people don't know who the hell these people are. Monster yes. sightings. There's even one sighting of I think there was a undulating uh, stingray that was flying through the sky that was see through at one point. And that see that that that's a weird thing because these weird like giant stingray things have been spotted all over the country, but usually they happen out west. There's been reports of them in Arizona, Utah, parts of California, but I've never heard of any of these kinds of things being seen on this side of the states, you know, especially down in the deep south. It's so weird because, like, there's a lot to do with magic in this, too. Like, the whole God Pan thing. There is this thing in here, which I'm definitely going to be bringing up, about a insane asylum where it was shut down and the people were fired because they were literally doing magical rituals in the tunnels under this place. And if I remember properly, they were actually burning symbols into the inmates or yeah. something along those lines. So into the patients, yeah. There's a lot of weirdness in this podcast that... I don't really quite know where to go with this guy. I don't because these episodes and if, if, if when you're done listening to this show, go out and find this Penny Royal podcast. It's not long. I think it's maybe eight episodes long. And that's it. It's got a definite beginning, middle and end. And the branches this story takes are it's at times it was like, OK, now where are we going? So and you have done an immense amount of research like you're way prepped for this show. <laughs> Like, I tend to do that. <laughs> you are like, like you're like way more prepped than I am. You're like, I've got these notes and I'm going to ask this question. I've got this and I've got this notebook here. And I'm like, wow. It was okay. Yeah, it was really <laughs> exciting for me because it kind of snaked into some of the research I've already been doing. So I was super thrilled to go into it further. Yeah, that's one of the reasons why I asked you to come on and do this with me because this is like this is your neck of the woods. This is your this is your neighborhood, for lack of a better term. Like right. you are in this whole area around this stuff all the time so when this popped up i'm like hey i know just the person to contact about this and, oh, yeah. and you took to it like a duck to water which is really cool which i'm, I'm you know i'm very happy about so awesome. um we're gonna jump into this interview in a second i want to say one thing to everybody they're listening right now that i've been meaning to tell everybody this forever in a day and i it just keeps slipping in my mind if you are a subscriber and listen to me through the podbean app or you leave comments on the podbean app about certain episodes for whatever reason, I cannot respond to those comments, and I don't know why. It's not letting me do it. I do see them. I do read all of them, and there's a lot of them where people are like, hey, where can I get the old episodes and stuff? Um, I want that question now. My first 100-something episodes are on the YouTube channel, if you do Project Archivist search for YouTube, and I'm really pissed poor about updating that app. I, I have not updated the YouTube feed and I don't even know how long it's been. And the reason why is because when I get done producing a show, I, I put all this effort into producing a show, et cetera, and so on. And by the time I'm done with the episode, I just don't want to do anything more with that episode. I want to get moved on to the next one. And to move the stuff over to YouTube is more work. And it's like, oh, God, I'm done with this show. I want to be on to the next one. So if you're leaving me comments on the, um, on the Podkicker app, I do see them and I read them and I appreciate them and um, I just can't respond to them. So if you want to get in touch with me directly, you can send me an email at projectarchivist at gmail.com or join the show's Facebook page. And then we've got the other show, Old Nerds Drinking. I'm also on that on that show's Facebook page. So if, you know, if there's something you need to know or whatever, I'm very accessible on Facebook. You can find me and bug me there and I will respond to you or whatever. And you can even find me on Twitter where I'm on Twitter too. I, I post a lot of different stuff over there as well. So it's not that a few people are posting this stuff, I'm ignoring you and I'm trying to be a rock star. That is not the case at all. I try to be very social with the listeners. I just can't respond over on Podbean and it sucks ass and I don't know why. So now that I've rambled on for all this period of time, 
Um, let's go find Nathan, bring him onto the show, and ask him a crap ton of questions. I don't know how long this show is going to go. This show could go an hour. It could go a lot more because <laughs> there's a lot of weirdness here to cover. So, And he's fine with going longer as well as we have to. So let's see where this goes, and uh, let's hop down this rabbit hole. All right. With us this week, as we said in the intro, is Nathan Isaac. And Nathan, you have, I believe it's an eight-episode podcast called The Penny Royal. And this is about one of the weirdest freaking areas of the country that I think, outside of the Hillier thing, did I say it properly? Am I saying it still? Am I still saying Hillier wrong? Hillier? Hillier? It's, hell, it's Hellier. Hellier. Okay. Thank you. I knew, I told you I was going to do that. So, um... Nathan, uh, I, I guess just tell us your story, man, because I don't, I don't even know where to begin with this. You've got flying space bats, meteorites, strange signals coming out of the ground, magic practitioners, people that don't exist taking up residence in towns, um, cats living with dogs, meteors falling from the skies, Zool is going to be here soon. I mean, wh- where the fuck do we start with this? <laughs> and welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks, man. Thanks, And thanks for having me on the show, too. Um, yeah, man, uh, I, I got to tell you, you know, when is Zul going to show up was one of the kind of things that I <laughs> that I felt like from the story. Minion of Gozer. Yeah, yeah you know, it was just there. There was one point I'll, I'll, I'll give a quick rundown of, of, of the story, but definitely um, at, at the point at which the story of Oakwood entered into it and the idea that there were these extra dimensional intelligences. That's when I was like, man, could this get any stranger? <laughs> you know? Yeah. So. so, you know, I guess let's let's start with um, let's start let's start with Pulaski Pulaski County and how you got involved with this. So, yeah, let's let's go from there. I guess. Yeah. So so I'm not originally from Pulaski County. Um, my wife is from here. I, I I'm originally from Eastern Kentucky, like deep in the mountains in the, uh, Appalachia, and but I went to school uh, in Lexington at Transylvania University and and uh, met my wife there. We ended up moving down here. I had never planned on coming back to a small town again, and um, but we ended up in Somerset, and definitely one of the first things that I sort of, um, you know, I, I've always collected folklore, and and I've always been into uh, high strangeness and collecting stories, and so when we moved down here, I was like, you know, I, I really, you know, <laughs> is this just going to be a boring place? Is there is there something here to? you know, to pique my interest to, to dig into. Um, and definitely, you know, I, I found all sorts of things. Um, the, the project really began, uh, I guess, in earnest about two years ago, three years ago. Um, I, I really wanted to take a look at the question of whether, you know, a place influences the people or if the people influence the place. And I know that's kind of like a chicken or egg question, mm-hmm. but... Um, but anyway, but I, you know, I was, I was really fascinated about that, and and that's where I think folklore emerges is that in that relationship. And so, uh, so anyway, we moved, we moved down here. Um, I've looked into some some strange things here. Um, one of the, one of the first things I found, uh, just you know, of course, I checked. Are there any you know UFO sightings? Well, they're and, everywhere. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but but I I wanted to know if there was a concentration mm-hmm. and. Uh, 
the first thing that popped up was this alien grave mountain. And I was like, what in the world is this? And, and, uh, Somerset is the, you know, the county seat of Pulaski County, but, uh, adjacent to Somerset is an old town called Burnside, mm-hmm. uh, which actually was moved when the late, we're right on the, on the, uh, uh on the Lake Cumberland. And so, um, Lake Bur- or Burnside, the town of Burnside, when the lake was formed, it was flooded and had to be moved. So anyway, it's, it's adjacent to, to, uh, Somerset. Well, in Burnside, I find out that there's this guy who has who who claims that there was a UFO crash in the 1950s, right? I think it was like 1953 or something, and um, and he runs tours on this mountain. He calls it a mountain, but this this big hill that overlooks the area, and he he takes you in a, a limousine. <laughs> oh, this, that'd be cool, right? So anyway, I, that was one of those things where I was like, all right, all right, this is kind of strange. Um, and, and before moving down here too, you know, I, I was, I, I was dating my, you know, my soon to be wife, we were living in Lexington. I knew she was from Somerset and, and I was doing some research on, um, Sedona. I'd heard all these stories about Sedona being the UFO capital of the world, you know? And, uh, and so I wondered why there were so many UFO sightings in Sedona. And, um, so I, you know, I knew that I could I could pull the uh, the satellite maps uh, from NASA or the European you know uh, uh, space agency, and so I did. You can they're called KMZ files, um, and they have them for all kinds of things. Um, you know, even the temperature of the ocean, whatever you're looking for. And so I pulled the ones for geomagnetic uh, field strength and dropped them onto uh, Google Earth. And sure enough, Sedona lit up because I'd always heard that Sedona had this huge spike of geomagnetic energy, plus there was a large quartz deposit. And I thought, maybe that's what's causing people to see so many UFOs there. And so I was like, oh, you know, can, can I prove that? And But sure enough, on the map, it lights up, and there's Sedona, and then this place in southern Alaska, and then there was a place in the southeastern United States that lit up. And so, and so I was like, great, you know, it's, it's not too far away. I, I don't have to drive 14 hours, you know, to Sedona and, uh, I zoom all the way down and it was Pulaski County. It was Somerset, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. That was the spot. And that, and that led me to, to research what that was. And then that's when I found that NASA, um, actually publishes a lot of research about this and it's called the Kentucky Anomaly. And it centers, of all places, which is so crazy, you know, it centers on Pulaski County. And it's the largest spike of geomagnetic energy in the Western Hemisphere. And it's so intense that it actually, they have a separate map um, in one of the articles that I found from NASA. And it shows that the gravity here in this county is different than the whole surrounding area of the United States. Um, Oh, wow. What do you, what do you mean by different? Like, is it? I mean, I mean, do you have an unusual amount of houses where water runs uphill and stuff like that, or cars drive uphill, well, or you know? Uh, well, I, I will say that people notice, and this will sound crazy, but people notice sort of um, spatial distortions, and then people will see. Like, I've interviewed a lot of people that uh, I've interviewed hundreds of people in this area at this point. But a lot of people have told me these stories 
and and they they all go in this special folder that I've got because they're not poltergeists, they're not hauntings, and they never repeat. But stories from people that when I ask them, you know, has anything ever strange, you know, happened to you in this area? They'll tell me a story about how, well, an object floated out of, you know, a cabinet in the kitchen and then just dropped to the ground. And that's the only thing that ever happened. You know, one one girl told me that a doll floated off her shelf and then just dropped in the floor. And and that's it. <laughs> you know, and, and obviously the biggest one is, you know, in Hellier, if anybody, you know, I appeared in the eighth episode of the second season and. And I tell this story there um, that, you know, my wife, when she came out of the uh, bathroom, you know, when we moved down here, we lived here for two years and our upstairs bathroom, there's a uh, thermostat. And uh, she comes out of the bathroom middle of the day, you know, broad daylight. And the thermostat just slides three feet to the left, three feet down, and then bounces back into place with this like, wah, 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 wah. Wow. And. So, so she she freaks out. She starts screaming, and she, but that's the thing. She, you know, she doesn't believe in any of this stuff. Um, she's, you know, she's sort of agnostic to the high strangeness, and and at the time that she saw this, she in no way thought it was paranormal. She thought she was having an aneurysm or something, you know. And so I rush up there to her, and and everything's fine. You know, the wall's fine, and I wish that I'd written down. <laughs> like when it happened, the time, you know, like the time of year, the day. But I just yeah. thought, you know, I, I just didn't know what happened. I didn't even think it was paranormal, right? You know what I think is very strange is how you said there's a high geomagnetic energy in this area of Pulaski County, and it affects the gravity. So that also makes you wonder if there's like a lot of copper deposit in that area, and I wonder if that geomagnetic energy is somehow playing kind of an effect because you know how copper and magnets interfere with each other they tend to make things float right huh. i've never looked at that before that's crazy the the thing i looked for was quartz because huh. of the piezoelectric effect right if yeah. you have if you have uh, mag, you know electromagnetic field and it hits quartz it creates creates the piezoelectric effect which is like yeah. a discharge of electricity it can affect yeah. people's brains but I've, I've never looked for copper though that's correct uh, that's now I'll have to do that after we get off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then with the quartz and then the geomagnetic uh, electric pulses that are running through there, that call that would cause a lot of like stone tape theory and stuff like that as well. Yeah, for sure, and that and that's what a lot of our research got into. Um, w- once we got deeper into everything, especially and in, and in, in, um, I'll, I'll I'll just finish this up and then I'll I'll explain why why I started looking into. Um, the effect on, on people's brains of the, of the geomagnetic fields. But, um, but two years, two years after my wife had that happen, it happened again. Um, she, it's like same time of day, same time of year, but I, I, if I knew the exact day, but she came out of the bathroom, the same thing happened where it slid across the wall down and then bounced back. Wow. And, and so then that was really before I was deep into researching the area. Um, but that definitely piqued my interest. I thought, man, that that's really strange. But I knew I'd already found the stuff about the Kentucky anomaly, and so in my mind, I kind of chalked it up to that. I thought, well, you know, maybe there was some weird spatial distortion. Let me ask you this: Do, do you guys have a lot of reports of like, like you know what earthquake lights are, or the Brown Mountain lights, and these yeah. you know floating yeah. balls of lights? Do you guys have a lot of incidents like that around there? Yeah, 
Yeah, a ton of them. And uh, honestly, in the last month, since um, October the 31st, um, people have witnessed uh, green lights in the sky, and then they've also seen purple lights in the sky. Um, and then the last week, we've had two UFO sightings uh, by separate people. One was in Russell County, which is the next county over, and then um, someone here in the county uh, that I know um, – she contacted me and said, hey, I saw these three, three, three balls of light, moving lights in the sky, and they were moving way too fast, and they had irregular movements. And then a guy in Russell County last week had reported the same thing. So, How about ball lightning? Yeah, well, the ghost lights. Um, yeah. People, um, there's an area called Elihue. There's all these really strange names of places. If you're, if you're into, like, James Shelby Downard or mystical toponymy, mm-hmm. um, this area is rife <laughs> with that sort of stuff, you know, but there, there are tons of, uh, and plus we have a battlefield down here, um, Mill Springs battlefield, which is a um, historic battlefield from the civil war. And people see balls of light all the time in that area. Um, it's crazy, but, but just in the sky and just in terms of, um, you know, seeing moving, moving lights there, there I've got a gigantic list of those um, from people. So, uh, but I definitely think that um, that the geomagnetic fields, the intensity here, plays into that. You know, I don't think everything's you know you you know. Honestly, when, once I tell you this, I'm curious what you guys think in terms of talking about the story. But um, I don't see all of this as a separate phenomena. You know, um, I do think it's all one thing, sort of. So, mm-hmm. um, but. But anyway, so so I'll, I'll run back a little bit in the story that, you know, I knew about the geomagnetic fields. I knew about the Kentucky anomaly. And um, so I, I was coming home from work and I was driving around the, the town square. And it was right around the 4th of July, I mean, probably like three days after, around the July the 7th. And all of these people were in the town square where the fountain is, and they were facing the old city hall where the judges are, the sheriff's department, all that. And they're holding up these signs that say, you know you did it. And I'm, so I'm like, what is that? You know. So I drive around, I go back to my house, and I'm next door with my neighbors. And I asked them about that. I said, you know, what, what were all those people? And that's when they told me about the murders of um, the young girl – and the and the really young boy uh, on the Fourth of July back in 1994. The story that I had always heard was that, was that they were beheaded, um, and their bodies were found. They went missing on the Fourth of July, but they were found on the seventh. And oh, man. man, it's a it's a crazy, crazy, like horrifying story. It's an unsolved mystery. Um, Dateline was here last year because it was the 25th anniversary of it. And so they came down and did did a little bit of a story, up you know on updates and and for years everybody said oh you know they're gonna find the killer you know they know who it is but nothing's happened you know the FBI was involved it's just a really strange case they were killed right on um, the city limits and there was a confusion whether or not it was the the city cops or if it was the sheriff's department that got the case and wow. and ultimately the guy that got the case he was this. Sheriff Sammy Catron, right? And he was this king-like figure here in town that flew a helicopter 
in, uh, to places instead of a patrol car. Right. And so, and he was sheriff for a long, long time. You know, everybody loved him, but also there were some, you know, shady undertones. But he was a very, I'm telling you, he was a king-like figure, the way people revered him and talked about him. And um, he ended up taking the case away from the city. And, um, and see, I had heard when... How when do you do that? Dad, how, how do you walk in and say, I'm taking this case away from the city? Like, isn't that crazy? <laughs> like they showed up first. Nobody and does he that. Shows up and he's like, this is my case. They're they're outside the city. It was like they were ten feet outside the city limits, and and he took it. But see, there were allegations that he was involved. Oh wow! And, um, and that's what my neighbors were. So so that was part of this. Was you know I was hearing these stories from them that there were the, there was a sex cult, and there were people wearing robes and. And and they were getting kids and taking them to these parties on the lake. You know, we're on Lake Cumberland, and that the judges and the mayor and all these people were involved. You know, and um, and I was like, "There's no way that there's a cult here." And it was in the basement of a pizza shop, <laughs> right? Yeah, I'm <laughs> telling you, man. I'm telling. You. And, that, and that, honestly, you bring up that you know the PizzaGate stuff and QAnon. That was a big fear of mine when we, you yeah. know, when I started researching this. None of that stuff was in the news. Yeah. You know, QAnon, I don't, I don't even know if it existed, really. Um, but once <laughs> once the show was nearing completion, all of this was ramping up more and more. And I thought, oh, my God, I'm going to put this out and they're going to latch on to this, you know. Um, so that was that was it didn't happen. That definitely was a fear of mine. Um, but but, you know, ultimately, at, at the end of this story, you know, I don't think there was actually a cult here. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think some crazy things were going on. I think it involved some drug cartels and some other things. But um, and we talk about that in the show. But but ultimately, there were these murders and these allegations of uh, you know a cult. And I was like, there's no way that these you know. <laughs> hopefully, I don't offend anyone from here. But you know, these country bumpkins. You know what I mean? Like are 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 practicing ceremonial magic. And and doing you know r- r- rituals and rites you know in the woods to you know yak sothoth there's some crazy <laughs> shit you know. I was gonna say this this whole story has very Lovecraftian Cthulhu like overtones to it at, at the strangest times because you bring up in the podcast this idea of some lumbering sleeping thing down below these mountains and these caves or something that is like starting to awaken or something like that. And you, you make reference to all of these, because this isn't the first kind of cult reference you've, you have in here. You, throughout your podcast, you make mention to magic like pan, um, the thing with the insane asylum, which I'm, I'm, we're dying to get, I'll, I'll let you finish your story. We're going to get to that. But all these little, like, like strange things with magic and cults and things keep popping up in the background. Now, I don't when I think of Kentucky, when I think of the backwoods of Kentucky and things like that, I don't go to cults, you know, maybe, you know, maybe folklore magic and things like that. You know, you've got Appalachian folklore magic and all of these different things, but I don't go in that direction. It just feels very like like all of this has the makings of some dark, strange horror story underlying all Man, this. Man, I'll tell you too. Like the same for me. I, I absolutely did not see magic being a part of this story. Yeah. Um. It, it just was never anything that I would even think was 
you know, again, Kentucky's just not known for that kind of stuff. You no, know? Like, no, I mean, just, at the most, yeah. you think of deliverance and dueling banjos and stuff like that. You don't think about, <laughs> you, you don't think about Uncle Ned, you know, with, with the shotgun outside, standing around a fire circle. It, it just, it's just not something that comes up. I mean, you read the stuff again. You read the stuff in Lovecraft books and things like that, and horror novels. But in real life, you really don't expect this kind of stuff. UFOs, sure. Bigfoot. Sure. Ghosts, poltergeists. Yeah, sure. Why not? These are all, you know, these are all things that all kinds of people experience everywhere. But when you start getting into the cult like stuff, it's like what influences these people? What what takes people in that direction? What what kind of a thing does something like that? You know, because this is just not something that crosses into this culture. There's probably people out there listening right now wanting to smack me in the head saying, dumbass, what are you talking about? But, (laughs) (laughs) you know, um, well. I mean, that, that's the thing, too, is like a lot of this we had to cut out of the show um, just for time. Right. Yeah. I mean, there was so much stuff that we didn't include. Um, I, I uh, A friend of mine ended up um, I hired him to be the editor of the thing. And he, he he's the lead singer of a band called Tiny Tiny. And um, and his he's in the band with uh, Philip Clanch. Um, his name's Boone Williams. Um, he was the editor. Philip Clanch was the he did the soundtrack. Um, and so they worked together sort of on it. But but Boone Williams um, he edited the show and, and he he didn't know any of the story. And that was what was great because I was like, take this. You know, I was giving him you know a two and a half hour episode. And he was cutting it down to 47 minutes. You know, oh, 56. God. Wow. You don't like this guy, yeah. do you? <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 it was hard. I mean, it really was hard because for me, so much of the story being inside the story, I see all these connections. And mm-hmm. to me, they, they're they all meaningful, right? And then yeah. he listens to it and he's like, it's fascinating, dude. It's crazy, but it's too much to hit people with. You know? And yeah. he was like, got to take this out. He said, put it in the second season. Put it in your your extra audio, you know, but, and, and that, and that was one of the things with the magic stuff. I cut out all the stuff that we found and then we're going to put it in the second season. But because of this, I mean, none of this ever stopped, right? <laughs> the story. I was going to ask you about that. If you were planning on doing like another season. Yeah, we, we absolutely are. We're, I'm doing another eight episodes. Um, and it's like, it is in, like, and since the show has come out, shit has ramped up. To nice. right, and, <laughs> and all this weird stuff's happening in town. It feels like because of that, um, but but yeah. So the magic element of it, man. I'm I'm telling you, you know, one one thing I'll mention right now that's not in the show, um, and hopefully we're not jumping all over the place. And people are like, "What the hell is he talking about?" <laughs> but um, you know, ultimately, I'll I'll say this: when I started looking at the story. It really the gateway were those murders and these allegations that there was a cult, right? And then I was like, let's see if there was a cult. I had no intention of proving who killed, you know, those kids. Um, I started finding all kinds of dis- strange disappearances, strange murders, and and honestly, um, <laughs> the sheriff that took over the case, he ends up, you know, a few years later, he gets assassinated. Had a fucking fish fry, right? What? Uh, <laughs> putting two who gets assassinated pies. a fish fry? <laughs> dude, dude. He's putting two apple pies on top of his patrol car, and they blow his head off, right? Oh wow! And and so again, remember, you know, I'm looking into all this stuff, and it's like this guy's a king-like figure, 
to the community, and he's assassinated. And then to me immediately, because I research a lot of this stuff, I'm like, was that a killing of the king ritual? You know, it felt strange. And and then with the murders, I knew about those. Then there were these disappearances. There was a guy who was immolated, not just burned, but immolated in a vehicle outside of the cave where Greg and Dana and the, and, and Hellier, they, they are exploring those caves. Outside of one of those, there was one of these crazy murders that's never been solved, right? Wow. When did that and happen? Do you know? That was in um, – I'll have to look it up. I can't think of the topic. It was the late 90s, early 2000s. Oh, wow. um, all this stuff happened in a certain time period, right? And that's then that started making me think, well, what is this some type of – you know, I'd read the Empire of the Will um, series by Walter Bosley and Richard Spence. And so I ended up contacting Richard Spence, and he – man, he's provided – He's you know, he's in the show, but also um, um, he's just been great. Uh, in terms of providing us with information and with his opinion on, you know, because he's a he's a historian, he's agnostic to this stuff. You know, he doesn't really believe in the paranormal. Um, you know, he's the leading expert on espionage in the U.S. You know, the Espionage Museum in in Washington. He's the head consultant. You know, but he's also a professor at I think the University of Idaho. So, um, yeah, it's just it was one of those things where you know I even asked him. I said, you know. Look at all these murders. Look at all these disappearances. It sounds like what happened in San Bernardino in 1914. And he's like, yeah, it does look like some type of weird ritual working, you know, that these murders are tied to. But again, it's like, is that <laughs> is that what's going on? Because if it is, then things are a whole lot weirder and more dangerous than I thought. And I don't know if I want to be involved in it, you know. Um, and, and that's the thing, too, about this story is. I really started this out trying to look at the town, you know, and, and, and try to find those fascinating parts of the story of the town. And from from that point of view, really, I was entering it as a folklorist, you know, and as a folklorist, you don't ever make yourself part of the story or become part of the story. And I swear, man, when whenever Greg came down here, um, you know, he, he, Greg Newkirk knew Kyle Cadell, um, who's an associate producer on the show. And Kyle runs an international paranormal museum here in town. You know, how many towns in America have a paranormal museum, you know, especially small towns? But Kyle's running this one. He travels to all these conventions. He had met Greg and Dana. Um, and so when they were shooting the second season of Hellier, they contacted him and said, hey, we're going to stop by asked him some questions and said, is there anybody else that we should talk to while we're in town? And he said, you know, you should talk to Nathan. He's been researching all this stuff. And that's when, you know, I, I met Greg. Um, he was here with Carl and Connor, and they came to the studio, and he just wanted to hear the the strange stories. And honestly, that's the thing, too. You know, I, I collected all these stories of UFO sightings, dogmen, just Crazy stuff, right? The Kentucky Anomaly stuff. And he said, well, what do you think's going on? And I said, well, let me tell you about all the non-paranormal stuff. And then you tell me. <laughs> then we'll talk about what's going on. And that's when I told him about the murders, the disappearances, all this stuff. Well, when I told him that, that's when you know <laughs> he tells me, listen, we were contacted by a woman from Somerset who says there's a cult here. 
and that everyone in town is in, not everyone, but, you know, all these people in town, powerful people are involved and that they're, you know, sacrificing children. There's, they're worshiping this green man. There's this cult. And I was like, oh, holy shit. What if, because <laughs> at that point I was like, there's no cult here. You know, this is, this is, you know, I, I figured out that it was a series of different stories that had been blended together. Right. And, and I was like, okay, I figured this out. Then he hits me with that, and I'm like, what in the world? And what I told him when I told him the cult stories, it confirmed for him what this Amy girl was saying in those emails, right? So at that point, I was like, well, shit, I've gotten myself involved in something dangerous. You know, like I didn't want to put my family in danger. I'm like, what, you know, is it possible? You know, Kyle was there with me, but my other research partner, Darian West, you know, we're all like, we need to stop doing this, you know, because yeah, there don't go to any fish fries. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, right. No fish fries. No fish fries. fries. No apple pies. You know, no way. You know, so so we stopped for a while and, and, and you know, Greg left, you know, with the Hellier crew um, and a little time passed. But also, you know, I was hearing these stories from um, we would interviewed Pamela. She's in episode three and she alleges that she was part of the cult. Um, and, and for me, you know, definitely when I heard her story, it was very much, um, the sort of the classic satanic ritual abuse, you know, and this, yeah, this, she's I, the one that, um, she claims to have been initiated at three years old, right? Right. Right. In the 1960s, she says, yeah. and, and she had these memories triggered from a psychiatrist that she was seeing, um, in 1992, Right, ninety one mm. two, which is sort of the height of the satanic panic. When I yeah, that was also kind of the height of uh, psychologists using hypnosis, right? Oh, regression was yeah, yes, yeah. It was a huge thing, and so um, she also told me, which is not in the show, but that there was another woman who had exactly the same memories as her that she could direct us to. We ended up not talking to her, but. Uh, but another woman that she had spoken with, because that that was Pamela's business. Is a, she runs a nonprofit for uh, ritual abuse survivors here in ah. town, right? I mean, that's strange. <laughs> you know, Wait like, a minute. Okay, okay. How how big is okay? She has she has a thing in this town for ritual abuse survivors. How big is this town? Is this like a little <laughs> country out in the middle of nowhere town, or uh, the county? You know, the county itself is. Uh, 65,000 people, right, for the whole county. I think it's the third largest county um, in Kentucky. Um, but the town of Somerset is 12,000, 12,500 people. So this isn't like now, a real big city or anything. So you've got no. you've got a paranormal museum, and you've also <sighs> got this thing where you can go for if you're a ritual cult survivor. Like, I mean, I would expect that in a larger city or a suburb of a large city, not in the middle, out in the middle of nowhere, kind of a town sort of, I hope I'm making sense, but that, that in itself is just really strange that you have that, that, you know, like a small town with this, this, like how many cult survivors are there in the area to warrant need of this kind of a facility? (laughs) Well, the thing about this, the number of women that we interviewed, there were five separate women who had the same story. Wow. We only interviewed Pamela, but there were five total. 
that had the same story, which I was like, oh, my God, is <laughs> is this real? You know, again, I, I'm saying all this because ultimately it, I do not believe there's a cult. Right. OK. Um, what I believe it is, you know, what I think is happening is something different. But, I, I, you know, I'm just presenting like what we found. And and there were five women that had the story. We talked to Pamela. Now, you got to think about this, too, that. Somerset is the houseboat capital of the world, right? And <laughs> and so this place is known for so much weird shit. <laughs> dude, this is where the houseboat was invented. Was in Somerset. Oh okay. wow! Okay, we had we we the industry started here, and so uh, Lake Cumberland at one point was the largest lake east of the Mississippi River, man-made lake, and right now currently. 3.5 million people come here every summer to Somerset. Okay. Wow. It, mainly from southern Ohio and southern Indiana. And they have all these houseboats here. And it is nuts, man. And all these like little resorts for these ultra-rich people started popping up in the 70s all around the lake. Um, and they still exist. But, man, people – see, that's the thing that's, that's crazy – these, you know, Pamela is telling me there's this international cult here that people fly into town for these like huge rituals and they're getting kids. And, and, and you know, one of my big things when I interviewed her was um, how are they if they're taking kids from town, people would notice that. Right. And she's like, no, no, they're taking kids from different states, one or two here, one or two here. And she named off the places and then bringing them here. Right. And I'm like, what in the, you know, this sounds totally crazy. Um, but yeah, especially when it's coming from her when she's three years old at the time, I'd wonder how she knows of these places. It's not totally. like they would openly talk to a three year old about where they're getting their sacrificial victims. Now, and it was, she says that she was in it until she was, I think, nine years old. Right. OK. Uh, so she and she's she has memories of her mother. You know, they were part of it. She has th- these memories of the guy that led it. And his he referred to himself as the great is, you know, that God is I am. And this guy said he is, you know, the great is and which is a weird detail, man. And and then this whole the rituals too, like the washing of the waters, they were like very detailed things that she said. Um, so so sidebar real quick. Right. Because because in the story, <laughs> that, that's one of those things where I was like, OK, this is kind of strange, but. Still, I don't know if there's a cult. Yeah. So I mean, I don't want to say that she's like you know lying or anything because I'm not her. I don't know. I would didn't live it, but it's just it all seems very odd. The story altogether. It sounds like the Montauk Peninsula, like the the whole Montauk thing. That was the For thing sure. that they would capture. They would take these kids and take them to this this peninsula and do these experiments on them, which was, which what Stranger Things was based off of. And yes. they would get a lot of like runaways and, and young male prostitutes and and people that wouldn't be missed if they came up missing. You know, for the most part, and that's kind of this is reminiscent of that. Like, let's go out and get these kids. We'll contact. We'll we'll abduct them from all over the place and we'll bring them here to do this stuff to them. Yes. Yeah. 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 And but you know, I think she definitely suffered some type of trauma right right um, yeah and for her everything that we we're talking about is real you know for her mm-hmm. it, it is a real thing and so i don't want to discount that and i've never yes absolutely to, you know like like she was a victim of something for sure right yeah so um well so when hellier came out right see i had been working 
for during the time that I was doing all of the Penny Royal stuff, I also was working during those two, three years with Dan Dutton, this really famous artist that lives here in town. And Dan's like, like very, very well known. Um, he's had works of art in the White House, you know, Mitch McConnell, you know, which everybody knows who Mitch, Mitch McConnell is, but, but, you know, uh, you know some very bad politicians, but he um, he gave a speech in Congress about Dan Dutton and how Dan had changed art in America, right? And he lives here in Somerset, born and raised, one of the oldest families here, the Duttons, and he has a farm called Dandyland, which is this art farm, right, where there's all these you know sculptures and and so he and I have known each other for a long time, but we've become really close and and he had I was having lunch one day at his house where we were working on a project and he told me a story about something that happened to him in Elkhorn City when he was working on his opera uh, the fawn and it was this crazy encounter and this is back in 2017 I think is, is about when he told me this story and he had this encounter where he he basically met the archetype of pan right and all of these and like pan was embodied in this guy named johnny in this uh little uh restaurant you know called the rusty fork and the whole experience that he had was this sort of strange archetypal experience wasn't on drugs nothing like that but it also started earlier in whitesburg earlier in the day as if he had like fallen Along a ferry path. That's how I took it. Like he, he probably wouldn't say that, but he's describing it to me. And and it's the fourth episode of of the show of Penny Royal. And and I think it's I think it's one of the best episodes just because it's very much what I wanted the show to be, which is about folklore, you know. And and it's his personal story. But it, you know, he's working on this opera called The Fawn, which is about Pan. I was going to, well, I was going to ask that because Pan is uh, Greek mythology and Fawn is Roman mythology. So he kind of blends the two in his play, right? Yes. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, and, and he, he modernizes the uh, story. Um, it involves all kinds of crazy stuff with uh, something called the Feldenkrantz method about creating a, a homunculi, which is sort of goes with Crowley's stuff. It wasn't about magic, but he was talking about, you know, the homunculi. In uh, this researcher named Feldenkrantz, I think he was a oh, psychologist in the 60s or 70s, and he was talking about how you know um, the homunculus was um, it had like really large lips because we all talk so much, and fingers were really large because we use our fingers for you know music or whatever. And so he had drawn all these strands together for this piece, but definitely he was deep into. Greek mythology and Roman mythology and all the ways that Pan and satyrs and all sort of came together to, to create this story. Um, and that's when, while he was researching that, that's when he has this encounter and he tells me the story and I'm just like, it was the most incredible thing to hear. And, I, and so I make films. That's another thing that I do. Um, and I have a, a, a channel where I, I shoot a lot of band. A lot of bands come to Somerset, which is weird too, right? <laughs> We've shot with like Tyler Childers and Arlo McKinley, and like you know Tyler's like Grammy nominated, you know. But like 
for some weird reason, we built up this studio above Jarfly Brewing, right? Mm-hmm. And we have bands come from all over and, and like shoot these music sessions with me. And so, you know, I've been making films for a few years, you know, mainly music documentary stuff and music sessions. And so when Dan told me that story, I was like, Dan, we got to make this into a movie. You know, let's, let's restage the fawn, right? In. Elkhorn City. Let's go back to Brakes Interstate Park, you know, which is this liminal space. It's a park between two states, Kentucky and Virginia, right? Right where it's Kentucky, Virginia, and West Virginia all meet. There's this little park, and it's called the uh, Grand Canyon of the South, right? <laughs> so, um, and there's Brakes, uh, and the town of Brakes is there. And I was like, let's go back there. Let's restage the, your opera in the forest. We'll film, you know, you know, interview people that you met, make this film, and then see if we can trigger another liminal experience where you basically will invoke Pan artistically, right? Did you did you base your uh, your your experiment on his experience that he had while writing it? Did you hope that you would reawaken something with him? Yes. Yeah, I mean that that was what I was hoping, right? Yeah. But then then COVID hit and we weren't able to. Oh, of course. Uh, right. <laughs> so so, but we're still, but the film's still. We've gotten a ton of it done, um, and um, and it will be it'll be out next year too. Awesome. But, um, so that's gonna be that's gonna be a weird thing. And then that's the thing too is that Dan's his major work was this four part opera that took twelve years to create. That uh, PBS, KET, they filmed it, right? And it was a four-part opera, four different operas, and it was called The Secret Commonwealth, okay? And so when Hellier came out, right? Uh, honestly, actually, tomorrow's the one-year anniversary of the, of the uh, um, premiere of the, uh, of the second season, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. And so when it came out, all of a sudden, you know, of course, I like skip ahead to the episode I'm in. Greg had told me, he's like, hey, you're in you know, this episode. <laughs> and it's called The Secret Commonwealth. That's the name of the episode. And I'm like, what in the world? You know, this is weird. And then the final episode of that second season of their show, they come from Hellier to Somerset, Kentucky, and perform a ritual to try to summon Pan, right? To invoke Pan. Well, see, what most people don't realize is that Hellier is a suburb of Elkhorn City, mm. right? And it was just, to me, I was like, what? And I immediately texted Greg, and I was like, dude, <laughs> I've been working on He didn't know about Dan. He didn't know I was working on that with Dan. We didn't talk about any of that. So I texted him. I'm like, man, the end of the film that we're making, we try to invoke Pan in Elkhorn City in Hellier, Right. And he texts me back, and he's like, dude, on my wall are these pictures of Dan Dutton. I'm looking at him right now. He's not in the second season because I didn't know how he fit in. I just didn't know why there was a guy in Somerset doing all this stuff with Pan. And and I got to ask you something real quick. Before you got into this, were you really into the paranormal and all these kinds of things, or is this something that you just stumbled into? So I never like never went ghost hunting, you know, no no Bigfoot hunting, nothing like that, right? Definitely like I gather stories. I've always loved the paranormal and high strangeness. Always okay. read John 
John Keel. You know what I'm saying? You've never been actively involved with it, though. Like, you've never gone out and poked it with a stick or nothing. So, (laughs) you're not. Kyle has. You know, Kyle, you know, he has a paranormal museum. He goes on ghost hunts all the time. I guess that was the things like, you know, Darian and I, you know, we design, we do data mining. We design apps for clients. We do stuff for the automotive industry. We, you know, data mine VIN numbers and things. So, like, you know, that's what we do. And, and then I have this fascination. I shoot the music videos and stuff, too, but I also have this fascination with high strangeness. So you're not used to synchronicities and things like this happening to you on a regular basis. This is all, like, no. th- th- these things happening, like, one one thing affects another thing, affects another thing, and boom, you're in the middle of it. This is something that you're not used to, then, on a regular basis. Totally, yeah. And, that, and that's that was my point I was making earlier about the fact that I entered this whole story from a folklorist standpoint of just trying to tell the stories of this area. And then it was like, holy shit, we became part of the story, you know, especially because of the whole Dan connection. And that's the thing with this too. There's so many layers that are not connected together, but are only connected through us. Right. Mm -hmm. So like the pan connection. So there's the murders and the cult stuff. Right. And, and, and we, we stumbled upon all of that, Again, I never intended to solve any of that. If anyone's listening that thinks I am, I'm definitely not. <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't kill me. Don't try to kill me. You know what I mean? I'm not going to any potlucks or anything. Yeah, yeah. And that was, you know, that's always been a concern. But so that was one layer of it uh, were those murders and then and the allegations of a cult. And then the next thing that hit was the, the layer of pan and then, you know, the rebirth of Pan, you know, Grimstad, Jim Brandon, all that stuff came out. Um, and then, obviously, Hellier coming out, and it was like, holy shit. I mean, it's weird enough, too, in that vein, that we are my studio where all of this, sh- where Penny Royal was created, where we do all of our work. It is above Jarfly Brewing Company, okay? Which has existed since 2016, I think. And... Uh, Jarfly Brewing, the, it's crazy that it's named that because the symbol of the cult of Pan, if you're a devotee to Pan, you wear a pendant that is a cicada, a Jarfly, right? Oh. So think about the fact that we're making all of this. All of this was constructed. This story was told from a space above Jarfly Brewing, which is the name of Pan's you know, that's used by the cult of devotees. And I oh, was like, wow. that's strange. <laughs> that's a weird synchronicity, right? Um, so, so, so all of that was one layer, right? Especially with all the, you know, all the pan stuff with Dan, all these weird connections. But then, so when the show came out, and we, we, we had heard the story from Greg about someone contacting him from uh, Somerset about a cult. He didn't tell me her name. And he didn't give me very many details. Again, we didn't even know he was shooting the sec- second season for Hellier, right? We didn't know what they were doing. They filmed the interview, but he didn't tell us that's what was going on, you know. Um, you know, we were like, oh, this would be cool if that's what it was. And then it, and then it ended up being that. But um, but once it came out and we saw the interview with, with Amy, when we saw, you know, what she had emailed Greg in detail – it recontextualized a lot of stuff for us. And I was like, oh my God, man, this is this is super strange. So I called Kyle, you know, and we were kind of freaking out about it. He contacts Pamela and says, 
um, hey, you know, the, the show came out. There's some other details I wanted to ask you about. And he ends up actually running into her in a grocery store parking lot, right? <laughs> Soon after the show came out. Okay, and, but we'd already talked about it. I was like, you need to contact her. We need to ask her some more questions. So he runs into her and he says, have you ever heard the phrase slough? Which, you know, is that short little ugly fuckers, right? And <laughs> and so referring to the, the to the aliens, right? I guess the little green man. And um, she starts to cry. And so it's like as if he triggered it. And so they talk for a minute and he says to her, where was this all happening at? You know, like you told us about this cult here, you know, this international cult, all the stuff going on in Somerset. Where was it? And she said, it was at the Mount Victory Mine. So he calls me and he's he's like, which, you know, I'm like recorded, recorded at this point, you know, I'm, I'm documenting everything, right? Like everything that we're doing. Um, I'm, and even Dan too, Dan was getting frustrated with me because it'd be like, I'd be over there having dinner with him. We're working on the film. We'd have a conversation and then I'm like, hang on, hang on. Now we have to have that conversation again. <laughs> I, have to, I have to record this, right? And then I was I was just recording everything we were all doing. Every time we were all in the studio, every time people were doing anything, I was like, and I've got just thousands of hours of recorded stuff that we just now is just a a, a record of this this story in this moment, right? But um, but anyway, so so he he says to her, you know, where where's that Mount Victory mine? He he calls and tells me. I've never heard of the Mount Victory mine. You know, mining is in eastern Kentucky. This is sort of we're just outside the foothills, right? Where the, it's kind of weird. It's like a little, little like mountainy, but then flatland also. And so we're sort of the transitional area, you know, geologically um, and geographically. And so um, he starts digging. Kyle does. The next thing I know, he sends me, you know, this this article and says, "Dude." There is a Mount Victory mining company, and it's a New York Times article that says that the this uh, Mount Victory mining company, Mount Victory Mine, was purchased in 1975 from Lester Burns Jr., who's this attorney who's like an infamous attorney in Kentucky and in America. They even wrote a book about him. This is in the third episode of Penny Royal. They wrote a book about him called Dark and Bloody Ground. Because he was involved in this murder that happened like south of Pikeville, and um, and also was involved in all kinds of other just like really really crazy criminal stuff. So, um, but he was also loved, very loved by people. But he owned this mine. Yeah, it seems like you guys were able to tie him back in a way to some things that might have happened there as well. Oh yeah, with the bluegrass conspiracy stuff too. You know, like it was it was crazy. Like there, he there's stuff that's not in the show that ties into Lester that are just so strange. You know, like he he is a part of this in a very deep way. I was very careful in the show early on. There were a lot of local names of very powerful people that I wanted to put in the show because. It tied a lot of things together that I just decided, no, I'm not going to do it. You know, just like it's too dangerous. You know, yeah. there's too many people. I'll get too much blowback locally. You know, I just need to. And it, and also the story was already weird enough. You know, I didn't need to dwell on on local corruption. 
you know. I'd Has just, anybody I'd, contacted you in any way? Well, this is probably a question you would be able to answer anyways. But has anybody contacted you and said, "Hey, back off"? Or no, you know, no, no one's no, giving you any. You're getting too close, kind of things or anything like that. No, I mean, and that that's been a great. The the feedback locally has been fantastic because people feel more can. These are all stories that everybody already heard anyway, and so the detail and sort of bringing it all together and giving them reasons for why has caused them all to dis- rediscover their relationship to this town, which I think, I mean, that was the point all along. Again, it's this idea of do people influence the place? Does the place influence the people? You know, I've, I have people sending me, you know, text messages driving around town. They're like, dude, this part of town that you mentioned, here it is, man. I didn't know this. My mom was related to this guy, you know, and just whole new ways that they're connecting with the place they grew up in that they never realized that they were connected to in that deep of a way, you know, and they're asking their parents. One of the best things, too, with the Lester Burns thing, I'm on uh, the Master Musicians Festival's uh, board of directors here in town, and uh, one of the other board of directors, um, he um, – he comes up to me after the meeting, well, just like two weeks ago, and he was like, he grew up, ne- he, his family lived next door to Lester Burns. And um, he said, that he was talking to his dad, and this is, this is I, we haven't mentioned this yet, but it turns out later that Lester Burns' business partner is Spiro Agnew, Vice President Spiro Agnew, right? Oh, fantastic. Which is <laughs> one of those things for me, too, that I was like, What? Are you didn't no way, you know, and there are just hundreds of articles, right? So he tells his dad, he said, uh, he says, Hey, dad, so uh, Lester's uh, business partner was uh, Spiro Agnew. He said, His dad stared at him and was like, How the fuck did you know that? <laughs> right, you know, yeah, and and he was like totally freaked out, and it was like, Everybody knows that now, right? And and it, but that so so that was one of those strange things because you know, here's this mine. And Lester Burns owned it. This woman saying that's where this cult activity happened. And this article we found in the New York Times says that Lester Burns and Spiro Agnew, his business partner, sold the mine for $15 million to a guy named Alexander Guterma, who the New York Times and every paper in America referred to as Mr. X. He was an international man of mystery who committed the largest stock fraud in U.S. history up until 1959, tried to overthrow the Dominican Republic with his mutual broadcasting corporation. He's tied to the JFK assassination. And then also some people believe that he was uh, ex-Nazi intelligence agent, right? So this dude moves his entire financial empire to Somerset, Kentucky. In 1975, and buys this mine from Lester Burns and Spiro Agnew, and that's where Pamela, who doesn't know this story, doesn't know about Guterma, doesn't know Lester Burns owned the mine, is just telling us all of these things with this cult, this international group, was happening at the Mount Victory mine, which turns out was owned by an international man of mystery, right? And that, that for me too, man, I was like. What? Because because it's like there's all the paranormal stuff, right? Yeah. This is not paranormal. This is. Doesn't Pamela even claim that she sees Mister X at one of these uh, sacrificial ceremonies? 
No, 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 no. She, okay. she, she, yeah. She described the guy as the, well. She says it was a short, bald, heavyset guy, right? But Guterma is a bald guy, but he's like six foot four. He's a really ah, tall. I see. Um, he looks like a Bond villain, and hmm. um, it's it's just one of those strange things. And all the pictures I have of him too. I, I bought these pictures from the Associated Press. You know. Who would even care about this guy, really? And, and when you read about him, and the deeper we got into researching Guterma, it's like, how is it possible that we didn't hear about this guy in history class, right? Yeah, I was going like, to ask you, like, nobody in the town, like, really knew anything about this guy or anything. Like, nobody in the town that I, that from what I remember, like, he was kind of like, nobody, he wasn't actually even a, really a resident there or anything like that, was he? Well, so he did move here in 1975. Literally, he moved his entire financial empire here. He lived at a place called Woodson Bend, which is one of these resorts that popped up when all this stuff with the lake was happening. He was actually one of the first people to buy this ritzy house in this resort. And he moved his family here. He was here from 1975 to 1977. But no one knew him. No one knew about him. Uh, we've, We've found no one that actually remembers this guy but we know he was here i even found his address i found the con- i know where he lived i know which which house he lived in in woodson Bend, right and then uh two years later he's flying um it's 1977 and he's flying from boca raton to new york city uh to take his family to the circus at madison square gardens and he diverts his private plane to somerset for some weird reason does some business here for a few hours and then flies out of Somerset and then crashes in in Brooklyn and his whole family's killed, right? He and his whole family. And that was the same week. See, he was a, an associate of DeMorenschelt, um, who in the JFK assassination was the longest testifying witness before the Warren Commission. Um, and he was tied to all kinds of things. Well, he and uh, Guterma were close associates. So the week that Guterma died in this plane crash, which people believe he was assassinated, was the same week that DeMorenschelt was supposed to testify when they reopened up the JFK assassination for the House Committee on Assassinations. That's actually when they they did the multiple shooter. You know that the government finally recognized that there was some type of conspiracy. DeMorenschelt was supposed to testify, and the morning that he was supposed to testify, he went upstairs and killed himself. Well, I've got a newspaper that has – it's the front page, and it has DeMorenschelt's suicide and Guterma's death in the plane crash on the front page side by side, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like this weird <laughs> – these strange connections because you know the, the Warren Commission only had seven people on it, and – one of those people was John Sherman Cooper, and his hometown is Somerset, Kentucky. He's one of the most famous statesmen in U.S. history. And there, there are two bronze statues in Somerset, in Pulaski County. One is John Sherman Cooper, and the other is a six-foot-tall pan statue. Okay. Oh, wow. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are the only two bronze statues here. One's John Sherman Cooper – who was on the Warren Commission, who who was here in town when Guterma was here. And Guterma didn't just, like, go to a place and hide out. The dude's license plate was G-O-D. 
I found that too, right? And he believed that he was the smartest guy. I mean, this guy was tied into the founding of the um, the Desert Inn in Vegas. You know, that's the first place that Frank Sinatra sang. You know, and and like he's tied into Mo Dalitz, all these like really famous mobsters, all these crazy conspiracies. It's like that dude was here, and he owned the mine that all of these people are telling us that a cult existed at that were performing these black magic rituals, right? And I'm like, oh, wow. this, this is in, this is insane, right? I just couldn't – at that point, I was like, I don't, I don't know, man. They're like, what is all this? Because – and still, I don't know. I don't know what it all means because I don't think that Guterma was part of that cult, right? I do think Guterma is a very bad dude. I absolutely believe he was a um, ex-Nazi intelligence agent. Like, listen to the sixth episode, but like, the deeper you go into it, now we have all these other researchers that are off. Like, because no, no one ever heard of him. You know, I saw somebody had a, a podcast the other day, and it was devoted to Guterma after they listened to this story, right? So then they were like, "Well, who is this guy?" And it's like, "Oh my God, this is fascinating." I'm just curious because you start back back in around the 1970s where you start describing like all these different uh, things that happened even just on your street, um, like the twin sisters oh. and Dogman and the twin brothers that who accidentally shot and killed each other. I don't. How did yeah. they do that? Do you know the story on that? No, that one. Well, there's one where they came like one came around the house and accidentally shot the other one before they were going hunting and after he killed his brother, he killed himself. Right. And so that was one of the stories, which was like horribly tragic. Um, but, but that was weird that that was on the street. The dude that killed himself in Darian's house, you know, who researches all the stuff with me was a Freemason in full Freemason regalia when he killed himself. And then wow. oh, that's what I, I was going to tell you guys this earlier. We were talking about the population of the town and, you know, that the fact that there's a paranormal museum and, you know, that there's this, you know, uh, ritual abuse sur- survivors thing. Think about this. And we've talked about this with a lot of people. We cut this from the show. Um, but Somerset has, I think at the final count, has 11 secret societies here in Somerset. What? There are five, listen, there are five <laughs> Freemason um, lodges here in the county. Five, Right. I was talking to Mar- Marco Visconti, who's in the show. He's a Freemason, too. When I told him that there were five, and plus there's both York and Scottish Rite, we have both of those. What? Dude, dude. Wow. And, and so the town is built on, and I'm not saying Freemasons are involved in this at all, right? <laughs> I'm just giving you, the, I'm just telling you the, the, these things that you can look up yourself. You know, it's just like keep stacking this shit into this layer cake of just weirdness, you know? But it's like the town has uh, Lodge 111, right? Um, It's one of the oldest lodges in America. The town uh, also had the fourth Freemason college in America was here. The the town is laid out based off of the cornerstone of, of the keystone of that lodge and lines up with the solstices. They line up with the downtown, right? I'm just really curious because you talk about how they line up. Has anybody sat down and tried to draw lines between these points of interest all over uh, Pulaski County to see if it creates some sort of intersecting uh, activity line or, um, 
even a design or a sigil within all these connecting areas of interest. Not yet, but I, that's on my list of like <laughs> stuff to do. You know what I mean? Like I, I definitely want to to see definitely where the the murder of Sammy Catron happened, the murder of the kids, like to lay all of this stuff out and, and to look at it and then line it up with the Freemason um, lodge and the college and all that. I mean, yeah, no, but no one's done that yet. But I think I think that we would be <laughs> they will now. But but you know that's a weird thing. He's got know? this like, notebook. He's jotting shit down in line up lines. Look for sigils. <laughs> and there's like a stack of notebooks in the corner that just keeps growing. <laughs> I mean, I just love this because it's 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 caused so many synchronicities with my own research. I just delved in wholly because I I did research on all these types of mythology. And I found out a lot of connecting factors with mythology and that area for some reason. And even it ties into, you know, Point Plus West Virginia and even Arizona. So it's kind of neat how it all seems to have similar types of activity with similar types of uh, uh, topography and um, key features like um, a power plant and water sources and bridges. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and it's not in the show, but like, there's all this stuff popping up that we found since the show came out with this side. And, and, and we talked about it before, but now I'm very convinced that um, there are devotees of a cult of um, Hecate here in the area. Oh, um, wow. Because there's a ton of dog sacrifice here <gasps> that we found. Oh, wow. Uh, like legitimate dog sacrifice. I'm not saying dead dogs. I'm saying dogs that have been found that have been ritualistic wow. sacrificed, which which really and and then so, I, I yeah, do, you, def, there's some stuff i want to tell you guys after we get off the air uh, that happened that has happened that i don't that i haven't really talked that i don't want to talk about on <laughs> gotcha we understand we we can roll with that we're good with that your secrets are but, safe yeah. here. <laughs> but 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 that's so crazy too like that you that you're that you've seen some connections here too because i mean it is strange um so, uh, so then all of that happened, right? And and I was really like ramped up to a ten, and or to a twelve. You know, I'm just like, what the hell have we gotten ourselves into? Because <laughs> it was just like, and also it's it's such an amazing story, especially with the Guterma twist, right? Because I didn't expect that. I definitely it's like the cult stuff. Well, what is that for people who haven't listened to the show yet? With you mean with Guterma? Just yeah. I mean, just saying, like finding out that that this guy who was possibly yeah. an ex-Nazi owned that mine, okay. right? That that yeah. people, you know, it was like this woman's telling me that there's an international cult at this mine, and then we find out that it's owned by an international man of mystery called Mister X, you know? And I'm like, what? This is crazy, That's and it's wild. all. I mean, just look it up. You can even look at if you got a newspapers.com subscription, just dive in, man, because it is a weird rabbit hole. So, and yes. it's like, and you, you know what's crazy? Oh, I was going to say, you know, it's crazy is you take the same sort of path that a lot of serious investigators take. And I even noticed that same thing, you know, with Hellier. With Greg and Dana, they did the same thing where you you'd start with very small and it tends to grow so massive that by the end you have to step back and you have to say, okay, this is the best I can deduce from this. And then later on, things start clicking again and you end up diving back into it. It's like this pattern of investigation where you just like your brain can't take so much at once and you have to just like settle for a very generic conclusion at the time. 
It's true, though. I mean, it, it is one of the things where it was like, okay, what does this mean? <laughs> you know, yeah. like, what, what's happening here? You know, Darian and I have spent numerous nights at the studio. We're working on this stuff. And I'm just like, man, like, what do you think? Like, what have we gotten involved in? But like, the way that it, uh, there's a bunch. So I'll tell you some stuff that personally connects to me that I haven't said very much. I don't know if I've even talked about this, but um, but there are a few things that it's just like you're gonna freak out when you find out because it is it's 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 weird how the more we interacted with the story, the more personal and the more specific it became to us. Yes, right? that's absolutely. not uncommon with this stuff. The more. Uh, me and me and Asher were having a conversation recently, and I said, "The more you poke at this stuff, the more that it will poke back, mm. and the more the synchronicities and things will line up. And how you deal with that and how you interpret it can be. I mean, a lot of people just say, you know what? I'm out. I can't do this yeah. anymore. It'll make you go crazy. It'll yeah. make you go crazy because it's like you get, you get into this whole realm of this world that doesn't exist to what you're able to see." And it's like it, your brain just can't take some of the concepts and it, you just got to stop every and now never and then go back to it. Yeah, there's not really any solid answers. You're just left with a bunch of theories. Yeah, it takes you here, then it takes you there, then it takes you there. And then when you try to leave it alone, I'm like, no, 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 no. You're not going anywhere. You're here for the ride and I'm going to poke you again. And it, it, yeah. it, I'm, from the sounds of it, that is that sounds very much what it has happened and is happening to you. It's like, okay, I want I want to back out of this now. And it says, no, no, you're here. You're here for the duration. You know, this is right. like taking ayahuasca. You're you're going to be done when we say you're done. You know? <laughs> right, right. Well, it is true, and it's like it hasn't stopped happening, right? And then last week, a lot of really weird stuff happened. Um, um, I do want to I do want to talk about the Oakwood thing here in a second, but I'll, I'll say this: that oh yeah, after the, a week after the show came out, all these signs started appearing downtown. The first one appeared outside of Jarfly. Um, where you know the studio's upstairs. It's just there's a big window beside the bar, and this woman, who's in her like late 30s, early 40s, witnesses saw this. I've talked to the people that saw her. They don't know who she was, but she's in like yoga pants, dressed nicely, walks up and puts a pre-prepared prepared sign up and tapes it really quickly to this window. Now, it's huge. It's like four foot by six foot. It's a huge sign. I'll send you guys pictures of it. But um, it's – and also, we're right across from the sheriff's department, right? <laughs> like if you look out Jarfly's Jar front door, it, it's the sheriff's department. And so this woman did this right in front of the cops, and it is this crazy rant about how this town is a cult, how they need to call the – somebody needs to call the FBI – um, they need to contact Lester Burns Jr. or call Sammy Catron and then marks out their names and puts other names of people. But everyone's name mentioned on it has been involved in a, a conspiracy or convicted here in town of corruption, right? Wow. And I was like, what is this, right? So then a dude shows up in front of Jarfly again with a sign. We find a maintenance door from the bank that shares an alley with the bar that's been ripped off. They took it off the hinges that had this huge thing written on it, the sign. There were three more signs that appeared, one in the town square that was gigantic about how this town was a cult. And then finally, uh, I think it was last week or the week before, just the end of the week before, uh, someone had climbed on top of a, a house downtown and spray painted 
contact the FBI. This town is a cult. The judges, the cops, the mayor involved. Um, you know, who are these cyber terrorists? Please oh, help wow. us. Yeah. And I'm like, but the thing that freaked me out was the fact the the first sign mentioned Lester Burns and Sammy Catron because they've been dead for years, right? So did that person listen to the podcast or is the podcast – because we talk about this a little bit in the show and definitely this is part of our research – this idea that, you know, schizophrenia or, you know, uh, certain mental conditions where filters are sort of turned off, you know, information. You know, we're always filtering out information. And so, you know, if you have schizophrenia, you know, the, some of those filters are not working. So you're receiving inputs of information, right. you know. And so it's like it, if they it's stranger if they have never heard of. It's, and we know that there are at least three people involved in this. A woman and two separate men have all been witnessed putting up these signs. And so it's like, are they receiving a, this signal? We're broadcasting this story, and they're picking it up somehow. And this it's is like a, a mouth of madness kind of thing. It's you know? weird, dude. <laughs> it's like, I mean, like, it scared me, too, though, because, you know, Amy... Also, I've been contacted by a lot of like, and Greg told me he was like, "Dude, when you release this, a lot of people are going to start contacting you, and and there a lot of it's going to be totally insane, but look for the pieces of it that are, are part of a signal, you know, that are part of they don't, and you're the only, and I swear to God, it's happened. That's why I'm, I'll tell you some of that stuff." once we get off the air but but there's been this weird shit man and then a lot of other stuff too that's that's happened where it's like what is it's that and that's what the second the second season is just the continued story of what in the world is happening and what have we gotten ourselves involved in right so <laughs> i'm gonna ask since since we've been talking about this strange cult-like activity um, out in the periphery, you bring up this insane asylum that was actually closed down because people were down below doing rituals and burning sigils and things into the actual patients of the insane asylum. Now, every every city, every town, every place that has a closed down insane asylum or a sanitarium or an old hospital, they all have these legends of these kinds of things. I've got one by me that was torn down recently that had all these different stories and things like that. But this actually did happen. This is legit real history that did happen in this in this sanitarium where this cult actually was down below in the tunnels performing these rituals, correct? Or is, is no, that yeah, also yeah. rumor? No, no, no. This is <laughs> you can read the articles. Get <laughs> get on news. That, that's how we found it, right? So we're researching cults and Kentucky and Somerset, and when you search for that, you'll find these articles. That's how we initially interacted with that part of the story. I swear, I told <laughs> that's the thing too. I told Darian, uh, I was like, man, on top of all the stuff we've already found watch there be some Stranger Things element. And I was joking, but it was because we had found all the stuff about MKUltra. Um, Lexington, Kentucky, had one of the the actual, you know, when MKUltra was shut down, there were hearings, you know, and that's not fake. You know, MKUltra is a real thing. So one of the, the places that was disclosed was an LSD farm in Lexington that's an hour and 15 minutes north of here. Oh, wow. Right? And so, so 
you know, we were looking at that. I'm like, is that a part of some of this? You know, all the shit's happening in the 70s. All that shit came out in the early 70s. So, you know, that's when I was like, man, now we're going to find a, a, a damn Stranger Things thing. <laughs> but, um, but I don't know. It, I I really think that you're onto something with the whole geomagnetic uh, energy. It, I mean, it could potentially be some source that's able to manipulate people to conduct these types of behaviors in that area. You know, it could be driving them to conduct uh, ceremonies and things like that on these poor, you know, um, uh, insane uh, patients that are already dealing with their own amounts of stuff and then add torture on top of it, basically. It's just insane. I just wonder if um, the land itself is kind of the cause of people's behavior in this area. Well, so, so when when you go deep into the newspaper research and the article research about all of this, you find out that Somerset is one of the most violent places in America, right? And literally, like the Cincinnati Inquirer is talking about in these articles how Somerset is the most violent place they've ever encountered. Now, wait a minute. Right? I live in Detroit, so... We're outside of Detroit. These are early articles. These are early articles, yeah. you know. But seriously, though, I mean, when you when you really start... I mean, challenge accepted, so... <laughs> right. Well, there's also the stories that, you know, I don't know, rumors that the sheriff's department was controlling, you know, the reporting of some of the violence. I don't know if that's true or not, you know, but... Ultimately, though, when you look at the, you know, we have a a book of just all the murders and disappearances, right? It's just all of our notes. And there are so many that it's frightening. And it goes all the way back. I mean, on the city limits, there's a story of a, of a, a body of an infant baby being found on the city in, the, in a pond in the city limits oh, that a guy no. fished out of the pond with a pitchfork, right? And guess guess out guess who who that was? It was uh, it was uh, Sammy Catron's great uncle. Okay, <sighs> right. And then you start to see little weird things like that, where it's like the farther back you go, and we got access to our local newspaper as well, and these archives that nobody else sees. And man, we dove into that, and it's like, what is going on? Because it was like. Just some of the strangest murders. There was a school of, it was like 40 children in the 1940s, and someone tried to poison all of them and tried to kill everyone at the school. And they never found out who, but they had put strychnine in the water that the kids oh, were drinking, man. right? And so that's a huge story. And then they never found out. And so, like, Anyway, it's just this long list of – and I could get into some stuff that ties into the the most famous murder in U.S. history in the 18th century, the Pearl Bryan beheading, which ties into Bobby Mackey's. You know, there's the story of mm-hmm. her head was thrown down the hole there, right? The real murder – so the dude that, that – the investigator in that case who tied those two dental students – who said they were Satanists and that they killed her, right? It turns out that guy is from Somerset, Kentucky. And it turns out he faked the story. And there's all these news articles. After they hung the guys, they charged him with telling them false information. Well, then when they pressed him for it, he says the real murderer was a woman from Somerset who was tied to a group, a possible cult in Cincinnati. Oh, wow. Right? And I'm like, <sighs> What? In the world, 
How is Somerset connected to this, right? And that's all and that's not even in the show. I mean, I was like, how I can't even fit that, you know. If you're if you yeah. die here on the railroad tracks in Somerset, right, you're charged as a murder in Cincinnati. Because they oh. have Yeah, because this is little Queen City. You know, Cincinnati is Queen City, and then mm-hmm. Somerset has always been known as Little Queen City. And they really I mean the and also the mayor at the time you know, when those boys supposedly killed Pearl Bryan, um, the investigator, the the private investigator that, that fingered those guys that in, ultimately said it was this woman from Somerset, he fled to Somerset, and the mayor and the sheriff at the time hid him from authorities. And in, in the podcast, we talk about the hotel where single women were coming to and they were being murdered. It was those guys, the mayor and the sheriff, that hid that guy connected to that murder they were the ones running a murder hotel in somerset wow which, oh, wow which is totally crazy man and it's in the shake i'm like it's this is all documented though and it's like what is, what is going on man so my theory though my thinking is that you know when you look at places of power when you look at places that are like extremely high geomagnetic energy you know that that people that practice magic you know, ceremonial magic, or just just people that are attracted to things would have come here, right, um, to perform rituals or to do things. And, and, and that's another thing that we did find, and that's not in the show. You know, I know that in the 1970s, there were hundreds of covens, of Wiccan covens, right, in Cincinnati. And I also know that the bait cabal was there and the bait cabal changed modern magic, right? They were part of the, they weren't part of the OTO, but they were, um, they were affiliated with Kenneth Grant and the Typhonian order. Right. Yeah. And we were talking about the Lovecraft stuff. Right. And this is, you know, early on I was like, Oh God, this sounds like some fucking real Lovecraft shit. Right. Then it comes back toward the end of the thing. And I'm finding out that, the bait cabal who uh, they, they were not involved in the cult stuff and weren't sacrificing children, but the bait cabal, they, um, they, they were sort of headed or founded by Nima, uh, who is Mary Ingalls. And she, um, she wrote this text that she channeled, um, that told, they believed in these old gods, you know, Kenneth Grant believed that the Lovecraftian stuff, well, it wasn't that it was true, but they used the Lovecraft motif to interpret these intelligences that they believe they were interacting with, right? I don't know how much you guys have studied in, you know, as, as far as like that kind of ceremonial magic. I don't practice magic. I sort of have a, pro, I have a prohibition at this point because I feel like it would only invite more shit that I can't possibly. <laughs> Probably. <point. laughs> well, so, energy, uh, the core so, of magic is that energy follows intention. So, <laughs> you know. It's it's like where do you want to put yourself in this? Yeah, yeah. So, but 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 we found out that this group that was up there, um, they published the Cincinnati Journal of Ceremonial Magic, right? And I ended up getting all of the volumes in a really strange way from a collector in Australia. And when I bought the books, he was like, "Is it cool if I ship these to you in a couple weeks when I come out of the mine?" And I'm like, 
what? You know, and I look him up and he's a mine scaffolding guy in Queensland. And he goes underground for two weeks at a time, but he collects esoteric books. And he had, and he shipped these to me, right? And I'm going to tell you a story after off the air about that too, but, um, <laughs> God. But, but, but so he, he shipped these to me and I'm like, Oh my God, you know, but we found out that they were coming to Somerset because, uh, Nima, Mary Ingalls believed and, and Kenneth Grant too, believed that, um, the Hopewell and the Adena people that, um, lived in this area, uh, you know, way back, you know, before there were Cherokee, before, you know, just the, the, the people that built the earthworks, that built the Adena Mounds. And there's an Adena Mound here in Pulaski County, up Highway 39, near Dan Dutton's farm, right, where all this stuff is seen also. And so that's that's another element that we've explored, you know, as a possible thing. But um, Nima believed that the Hopewell, or these the Adena, had opened a rift in uh, space and time that allowed access to what, you know, obviously they call the light side, the night side of, of existence, you know, the, 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 the tree of life, you know? And so she believed and Kenneth Grant ultimately believed because he was working with her on this, that it had never been closed. And that's why you get the Mothman. That's why all this stuff's happening. And she actually was coming down to Daniel Boone national forest. And this group was coming here to Somerset. And they were performing time magic rituals in the 1970s here. Yeah. At, at a place talk about called. That. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So, but like deep into it, though, I mean, like it's amazing because we found this place called the Beehive and all these witnesses. And it's this weird structure. And I found it. And it's a real thing, you know. And, and you know, these they were and like they weren't doing anything nefarious, but on top of all of this, to to find out that a group of people who believed there were ancient intelligences that were attempting to enter our reality and destroy humanity were coming to this county in the same area where the mine is, in the same area where Greg and Dana and the Hellier did their ritual to Pan, that same area these people were drawn to, and they were doing rituals to stop the incursion of these alien intelligences that they were that they thought were trying to destroy humanity i was like this is <laughs> wow this is totally insane you, you know? also talk about a, a, a vortex that you believe is open near cincinnati area and i was wondering how you came to that conclusion that's that's from nema it's called the cincinnati it's, it's, vortex okay so that's one you were just talking about yeah yeah, she calls it the Cincinnati Vortex. She is, So it's like southeastern Ohio down through uh, western West Virginia and then eastern Kentucky all the way through the uh, Daniel Boone National Forest, which is where – that borders right where the caves are that Hellier did their ritual and where this mine is. So oh. uh, we've got a book where she comes down here and, and tries to – to do a ritual um it's crazy man all that that stuff that's all in the second season too and we're gonna have more go in deeper detail about all of that stuff because man i mean once i found all the journals and you dig into that it's like oh this is a whole other perspective on everything and 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 also you gotta remember that you know 30 minutes east of here is or 30 or 45 minutes is whitesburg and that's where wicca was reinvented in the early 1970s by Lady Sheba. She wrote the Book of Shadows. 
which is a controversial work, right? And it's like that's in the same forest that all this stuff is happening. She did that, and and then also, you know, there's a green man cult, right? That's where I was going to go know, next. I was going to say, yeah. besides all this magic stuff you've got going on here, you've also got goblins, dogmen. A giant meteor of some kind that possibly crashed there, you know. Um, <laughs> where where do we go? <laughs> well, well, let, me, let me let me say this about the Green Man cult. So in you know in Amy's thing where she's talking to to um, you know to Greg and saying that that exists, I look up that I'm like, is there a Green Man cult here? Is there a cult worshiping Pan? Then I find this in 1955. A group called the Guadonic Order was founded in San Francisco, and they worship Sunernos, the Horn God, and the Green Man, right? And in 2004, they moved their international headquarters from San Francisco to guess where? Somerset, Kentucky. This is, you can look all of this up, right? So there actually is a Green Man worshiping group here. They're Welsh. They're not Druids. Uh, it's Welsh magic. They're not Druids. They're not Wiccans. It's a whole other other thing. But their international headquarters is now Somerset, Kentucky. And they worship Sunernos, the Horn God, the Oakwood King, right? And I'm like, well, what are the odds that, you know, and then the elevator she talks about in the show, too. We found that. The neighbors that told me about the murders after the show comes out and I'm telling them about the elevator, they're like, that's our great uncle's elevator or uh, cabin. And it's an elevator. And I found another family member and they were the same thing. It was like, yeah, that, that cabin that they broke into is up there in that area. And they had an elevator in the bathroom that went down into the cave system for convalescence. And that's real. Right. (laughs) So it's like, was Amy really channeling something, or maybe there were family members that were part of the Green Man cult? They're all they all use Welsh names, so we can't identify who they are. Is but the cult they, still they around? Really, it's not a. It's not. I say cult because it's like, a, yeah, you know, a, he's a, a, I know you're saying gardener. You know, gardener. You know, for Wicca would would call it a witch cult. You know, um, but but so they are here. Yeah, they're active. They're, I mean, it's an actual group here. That's the thing too. It's like. Why are all of these magical groups and secret societies here? That's what doesn't make any sense to me. And then again, it's like you can look all this up. You know, it's all all available. It's like there's a mountain of just like what are what does all of this mean that all of these things are here that are they're somehow drawn here or clustered here? And and that's why the the meteorite crashing here was such a you know I interviewed Brian Simmons. Um, and he was great because, you know, he had had this meteorite fall in his house, parts of it. And I just thought that was a great way to open the story um, or at least to have that sort of the centerpiece of the first episode because, you know, I interviewed him and, and he's great. He's a radio DJ, too. And he was just like, you know, what if there's something under the ground drawing people here? And it's like. There is. There's the Kentucky anomaly for sure, right? Mm-hmm. But also, there is a 54 pound, greater than 54 pound meteorite underneath the ground. Here, it's not drawing people here, but it is the lake, you know, or the um, Cumberland Falls meteor. You know, parts of it are in the Smithsonian, which is strange. And 
that just felt like to me, you know, because I'd read an article about how in Siberia tribes, you know, whenever they would a meteorite would strike the earth, it it sort of signaled a year of weirdness for the community. And I was like, this is a perfect metaphor for what we're experiencing, you know. So besides all this stuff that you've got going on with this aspect of it, because you elaborate a lot more on other strange things that are happening around all of this. So you mentioned UFO sightings. Um, are there a lot of reports of UFO abductions or people with missing time, um, you know, things along that line, or strange creatures that they see, like, ring around their property or things like that? So a number of people, I don't think, I think we cut this out of the show, but a number of people have had interactions with uh, UFOs at Little Lick Campground which is adjacent to where the Guterma mine is, to where the Mount Victory mine. So when you're driving to it, it's 20 miles on a dirt road or gravel road into nowhere. There are no turns. You just drive 20 miles on this road. And then there's finally a turn to the left, or you go straight ahead. If you go straight ahead, within five minutes, you're at the mine. If you turn left, there's a little tiny campground called Little Lick. And so people for years have gone out there and they see all kinds of UFO sightings in that area, which, again, I'm like, is it because of the mind? Is it because this is where the geomagnetic energy is most intense and they're just seeing this? But I've two different people have reported to me encounters with UFO landings and ETs directly. The other one that was totally crazy is a guy I interviewed who um, he was, and I think we do tell this story in the in the show. And, um, but he was uh, the second episode. But he was driving with a group of friends on an ATV, and they were hit by a beam of light, which f- he says froze them in the air, and then they had like two or three hours of missing time. Well, he developed a weird growth on his body. And when he went to the doctor, and they they thought it was a cyst. So when they went to remove the cyst and cut it open, all of these little, like, copper-looking metallic balls came out of the wound, which were sent off, but he said he never found out what ha- you know what it was. No one ever told him. The doctors would never tell him what it was. So that, to me, too, was like a super, super strange, strange story, you know, of, of from this area. And and then there's just tons. I mean, definitely the the weirdest thing too is the, you know, I I I think it's Dave Schrader, you know, um, has a story that he tells on Coast to Coast AM about being at the East Seti Ranch. Uh, that's up in what Oregon or Washington, up in the Pacific Northwest. And you know, yeah, people, that's a big hotspot area. Yeah, yeah. Actually, that's near Mel's Hole too. You know, then that's this whole crazy thing with the the. Um, the Native Americans up in that area too. There's some some weird stories, but he's there, and people are like looking through those third generation night vision goggles um, to see the UFOs. And then Dave Schrader said he went the opposite direction without the goggles, and he and this is the first time I'd ever heard of this. He saw one of those flying stingray entities or UFOs go over top of it. It's funny, me and Ash were talking about that just before the show, about how 
these flying stingrays, you, you hear legends and stories about these usually in the out west. And these legends go way, way back to like the, you know, to the early like gold mine towns and stuff like that. This is where the uh, cowboys and aliens stories come from. But you hear about them in Utah, you hear about them in Nevada and California and things like that, where these giant stingrays are somewhat transparent. They fly through the sky. But very rarely do you catch these kinds of stories happening on this side of the United States. It's, um, it's just it's just not something you, know, you hear stories about it, but not not in that regard over here in the states on this part of it, I should say. Uh, sometimes you'll hear stories of thunderbirds and sting like things like that, but the flying stingray thing it's not really common over here in this part of the, uh, of, the of the country. Yeah, and but that was what's so strange. I mean, that's that's from Mufon, mm-hmm. and that was reported to him. I think that was God. It wasn't very you know in the last decade. Um, so. I mean that was strange to to hear that story. There's a hillside here in town, uh, not in town, but outside of town, that everybody says not everybody, but the people that are into the UFO stuff says that if you wait on the hillside, you'll see UFO sight. And I've and I've heard a lot of people report that. But I mean, I have a huge my list of UFO sightings here are just absolutely insane. Um, again, that was just part of it. I kept asking myself, is it? The geomagnetic energy, is it causing people to see these lights in the sky, to have these encounters, but also is it causing them to be more violent? Is that why there's such a high incidence of crime here? Um, you know, it's I all mean, related. Yeah, maybe there's tons of, I mean, real scientific hard studies done that test the effects of electromagnetic effects on the body. So I assume that geomagnetic effects would be similar, but like ramped up. Times 10, I would imagine. Uh, So I could imagine that plays a huge part on the psyche and how we view the world. And a lot of times our brain tends to fill in the blanks of things we can't understand. So then, you know, there's that to factor in. Um, But you also talk about like this series of dogman-like sightings where there was dog prints found and there was dogs that were uh, getting going missing and being killed. do you, do you know any of those stories more specifically? Because you yeah. just kind of touch on it in your show. Yeah. So so, you know when I when I when I interviewed everybody in this like in this immediate area where I live right on this road, the girl the girl and the boy that were murdered lived on my street. Okay, that's why my neighbors told me the stories because they've lived here their entire lives for like their you know the houses were owned by their family for the last hundred years, so it was like. Yeah, we knew that story. So then I I talked to, you know, Boone who edited the show, he went to a city council meeting and there's been all kind of, <laughs> there's a whole other layer of this town that is a socio political layer that's fascinating also, right? Things that are happening here in town. Um, which I won't get into, but it's fast. <laughs> like it's equally as fascinating as the paranormal stuff and, and all this high strangeness, but so Boone goes to this the city council meeting and he meets one of our neighbors and that's the guy that told him a lot of these stories and he was like yeah look into this and then we found it in the newspaper too the old newspaper stories but you know Boone lives in the house where the twin girls saw the beings of light come out of the floor right and then the next door to me is the the people that saw uh, another separate from him they hadn't heard that story of things of light beings of light coming out of their basement. And I'm like, oh, wow. is this is this all part of the 
geomagnetic energy stuff. You know, because in this house, we had the distortion with a the thermostat. So also down the street, two different people that don't know each other that I've interviewed have told me stories of in the 1960s, people saw a dog man in their window at night outside and had killed the family pets. I'm like, what? <laughs> That's weird, you know? Um, and then we'd heard stories of dogman sightings up Highway 39 um, near where the Adena Mound was. We've heard stories of these large um, dog-like creatures that people have sighted on the side of the road. They've chased their cars. Um, also, there's a newspaper article from the 1970s, and there was a tornado that had come through Somerset. And this farmer afterwards had found these gigantic dog footprints all over the farm going into his barn, which part of it had been knocked over. And he had preserved them. But it's that also is just this totally nuts story. And he's talking about how, you know, it's like this eight 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 inch, you know, <laughs> dog footprint. Um and um sightings of, of weird white dog-like creatures here in the area. And then the craziest one, which is there are tons of newspaper articles about this, they called it the dog killer. This was turn of the century, early 1900s. Um, Pulaski County uh, butts up against Casey County. And right on the border between Pulaski County and Casey County were all of these, I mean, there were tons of newspaper articles about this. Something just came out of nowhere um, and started killing dogs in the area. I think it was like 60 dogs, and it decapitated all of them and ripped their heads off. And they even formed a posse to go hunt the thing. And when they did, the different people in the posse, when they saw the thing, saw it in multiple different ways. Right? So it re- so it was a single entity, but the multiple men saw it in a different form at simultaneously. And they shot at it. They thought they killed it. The thing ran off. And then after that, it stopped and it never came back again. But it was this like two month period where all of these animals were murdered by this giant dog like creature, you know, like werewolf like creature that these guys all saw in a different way when they found it. And it's all in the newspaper articles. <laughs> it's, 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 and that is the northern part of the county that's near the Adena Mound, Highway 39. And all this crazy shit happening near Dan's farm, Dandyland, you know? So I get the impression that you could put the stuff on a dartboard on a wall, close your eyes, and just throw a dart. And whatever the hell it lands on, you could just investigate any one of these branches of weirdness and just follow that rabbit hole down even deeper. You know, it's, have you ran into that? Because right now, like, we've talked a lot about cult activity and famous people being tied into all this stuff. And we've kind of touched on the UFO stuff in a little bit here and there. But of all of that other stuff, have you have you bothered digging down those paths completely yet? Or have you reached a point now where you just throw everything, look, look at a wall full of this shit and go, I, I don't even know where to start with this point. I mean, <laughs> I mean, a lot of this stuff, too, it's like I haven't haven't gone all the way down with a lot of this stuff. You know, I mean, the stuff we've just talked about, the stuff that's in the show is so, so much by itself. You know, Guterma by itself is just so much. Um, the What we were going to talk about earlier, which let's talk about it now, the Oakwood stuff, right? You look up cults, Somerset, Kentucky, and you find 
all of these articles where in 1973, and that's the thing too, a lot of the places that we were talking about, you know, they're all, a lot of places have um, sanitariums, right? And um, haunted sanitariums and haunted, you know, mental hospitals. This place is still open, right? And so, oh, it is. Okay. Yeah, no, no, no. This place has been active all along. But in 1973, it was the most um, experimental mental health facility in America. And this was like Vietnam War. Things were going bad for um, for just the way that mental health in the U.S. was being perceived. You know, all these soldiers were coming back. There really weren't facilities to treat PTSD. And so in order to show that America had turned a corner in the right direction, um, they built Oakwood. And so it was this experimental mental health facility uh, with cottages, and they were treating – mainly was low-functioning uh, residents. But we had come across these articles mentioning that one of the cottages was high-functioning, like Savant's. And so the place opened up in 1973. It was designed by this really famous architectural firm in Louisville. The artist that redesigned the interior and the grounds and put all these sculptures, his name is Malcolm Greer. Look him up. He's one of the most famous logo and graphic designers in history. Some of the biggest corporations in the world, those images, those sigils that we see were created by that guy. He was born in Somerset. Moved to Rhode Island, took the bid, didn't even know that this place was going to be here. Ends up getting the bid because he's so famous. And boom, he's like, holy shit, it's my hometown. Wow. He comes here and he designs this stuff. I mean, it is the shit that they put into this is bizarre. And the buildings are slightly buried underground um, because it was supposed to be built somewhere in a desert out west. And it was supposed to be built like that. Because of the high wind shear, right? But they ended up moving it to Somerset for some reason. But they kept the same design as if it was going to be built in the desert. They built it here. If you look at this place from the sky, from Google Earth, it looks like a crazy sigil. It's totally insane looking. So they opened the place in 1973. And um, within six weeks of opening, like NBC comes here. And they do Dateline does this like special night nighttime or special you know evening news thing about how it had changed you know uh, mental health in America. They ended up not airing it because before they could even air the segment, within six weeks of this opening, a letter was sent to the a governor of Kentucky, the head of the state police, the sheriff here in town, and the mayor alleging that a um, witch cult was operating in the tunnels on the third shift underneath Oakwood, and they were performing seances and summoning rituals and were burning symbols into these residents. What we found out was the residents they were burning the symbols into were the savants, the high-functioning people, right? So I'm like – and these articles are there, right? We don't know what the letter said, the anonymous letter, but we know that the health commissioner for the state of Kentucky – came to Oakwood and addressed all three shifts, and then the news reporters were there. So we know his response to each allegation, but we don't know the actual wording of the allegation. And so you read through this, and they're literally saying witch cult. 
that they were burning these symbols in. Um, a bo- and there are multiple murders attached to this place too. But they fired that guy, right? They fired, but the guy that was running it was this like guru who we believe is connected to Esalen and a bunch of other like shit that was going on at this time. Um, and sort of like on the edge research, but, um, because he was reprimanded for wearing beads in his beard and never dressing in a suit. A sorry. Yeah, dude. Like some shit where it's like, what? And then when this he was, was the fired, guy running the mental institution, yes, dude, this wow. experimental, cause it was a new type of treatment that they were instituting here. Okay. So I've, so we found out all that stuff, right? And I'm like, God damn, how could this be any weirder, man? Like, you know, because, again, these are all newspaper articles. Fucking go look it up, you know? Um, so so then I'm talking to Marco Viscani, you know, that's in the show. He's a, a, a ceremony magician in England and just fantastic, you know, guy. Helped so much about understanding all this stuff because I don't have a background in magic, you know. I don't, I don't, all of this stuff. We can fix that. that. Oh. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you guys, know, you know. but yeah. So, so I'm like, what is going on, right? So, um, oh god, I can't wait to tell you this other thing too after we're off because you're gonna freak out. But so, so there's uh, a whole show gonna happen off the air. <laughs> at this point, I love it. Yeah. So uh, hopefully I'm not keeping you guys up too late. But. Oh no! Just just keep going. So I mean we're we're at an hour and forty eight minutes right now, so, but I'm, I keep going, man. <laughs> yeah. So, so so there's just so much to this. It's like I, that's why I go back to how did you fit this into eight episodes? Dude, I mean, the shit how much did you leave on the cutting room floor? I mean that's the thing though. That's 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 the thing is there's so much more to this. And again, it's like. How do you find yourself in the middle of a story like this? You know, and that's the thing, too. It's like anybody that wants to be like, this can't all possibly be true. It's like, go look it up, man. Get Just look this up. It is absolutely, you know, they're, obviously I'm interviewing people that are like have personal stories. But the personal stories are backed up by all this other stuff, all these other articles, all these other things that really happened. It was like this all happened. I'm saying, but like they're in the newspaper. You know, it's reported by people, and it's like Jesus Christ. You know, but but so I'm talking. Like, to, is, is your wife getting like freaked out about this too? Like, okay, you need to pull back and, and leave this stuff alone for a little bit, or like she was. Are, are you reaching she, she a point was, where you're like, I need to stop this. I'm getting too involved. This is becoming too obsessive. Or is this your thing now? You know. Uh, you know, I have a job. I work a day job, obviously, like sixty, like sixty hours a week, too. You know? How? So, oh man! <laughs> but, but, yeah, you know, you know, but um, but you need a book. You need an author to come along, or somebody needs to co-write a book with you about this stuff. Or no, I'm, yes. I'm, I'm working on putting this all into a into a book. You know, I would love that because there's so much that you know. I'm sure that you have not included. There's so much between the lines that. I think would make a lot of sense for a lot of people to connect it like you have. Well, and also like the original document that I used for the show. I mean, the each, each episode I definitely like outlined like a documentary. I mean, it is a documentary, you know, of, of what's happening. And so, um, but I have an original document, which is all of my, you know, citations for all the research. And that's, what's going to go into the book. 
You know what I mean? Because it's like, you know, all the stuff we found about the geomagnetic energy and the effects on people from Japan. You know, there's all kinds of stuff. And then all these newspaper articles that we've got. I want to cite all of it. You know, I just want people to be able to, you know, get, click a link and say, this is this is crazy. You know, mm-hmm. this is amazing. But 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 so with the Oakwood thing too, man. So I, so I'm talking to Dan about um, where I'm over there. We're working on the Fawn film, and I had talked to Marco Visconti, and he had mentioned. He said, "You you know, uh, Pan is also known as the Oakwood King." Okay. And sidebar too, I just read this before we got on the on the air, started the interview. Um, <laughs> nice. Tomorrow, tomorrow is the Oakwood Moon. Right. Yes. Or the oak, the oak moon. You know. Yeah. Uh, so I, I was like, oh, that's interesting. You know? It's also going to be an eclipse. Right? Um, oh, that's so crazy. Yeah, I think this is the first eclipse of its kind or something like that, and I don't know how many it's, – it's a, it's, it's a long, long time since anything right. this has happened, since anything that happened like this before. And you've also got this huge planetary alignment coming up fairly soon as well. So be on your toes on that one. <laughs> right. It's like, I'm like, is anything going to happen here in town? You know what I mean? Like, um, but, but so, so I'm, so, um, Marco told me the thing about the Oakwood King, that Pam was the Oakwood King over at Dan's Raven dinner. We're working on the film and I brought that up to him and he said, oh, I've got an Oakwood story for you. And that's when he told the story to me about his encounter, which is in episode seven at the end of it with, trying to go paint with the savants and see that's in 79 we had already heard in 73 that the savants were there from multiple people and from newspaper articles he hadn't i hadn't talked about any of that stuff with him and then he brings up i went you know i was convinced to go paint with these people in this one cottage that this woman was telling me were inhabited or that they were these alien intelligences, these godlike intelligences that were trying to save humanity. And then when he went, he sees all of these people eating and picking popcorn out of the grass on their hands and knees. And that's the last thing he remembers. And then three hours later, they're driving him back to his, you know, to Dandelion. And he said that, and then when he told me the story, and I hope this comes across in the show, because to me, I started to freak out. My heart started to race, you know, because I, f- I could feel him starting to tell me this. And I thought, Jesus, he's not because I'm a huge, you know, I've researched a ton about the nine and, you know, Puharich and, and all this stuff about, you know, channeling intelligences. Obviously, never tried anything or and I'm not sure of the veracity of it, but I'm still fascinated. It's it's like Richard Spence told me it doesn't matter whether or not you believe in magic or you believe that these people did the things that you're finding out or researching. The fact is that they believe in those things and they're acting on those beliefs. Right. And so, you know, Dan has this experience and then he goes, he's driven back to Dandelion. He said that was the most important day of his life because that day after that encounter that he doesn't remember, and I'm literally, he's like starting to tell me, and he's like, Nathan, I've never, he's like, I, my entire body of artwork is based around memory and about, because, you know, he's one of the only people that can still sing all the child ballads and, you know, which are a part of the Wiccan lore too, you know. And so he's like, you know, I build memory palaces. That's how my work is, and my work is about 
memory and identity in place. He's like, for me not to remember a moment of my life is strange. And he was, you know, he his voice was breaking. He was freaking me out because he was so emotional. And he was adamant that that day that he now can't remember what happened is the day that he received the inspiration to create the stone man and to create the secret commonwealth and to create the fawn. So then it's like, did was all of this set in motion in 1979 by an encounter Dan had with these alien intelligences that were inhabiting the bodies of a group of savants at Oakwood? <laughs> and I'm like, what the fuck? What is going on, man? You know? Since you bring that up, let me ask you this question then. Um, have you done any research into local Native American legends or anything that that happened before, you know, b- before we got here? Yes. Like, is there how far back is the history of strangeness of this area? All right. So definitely. Oh, boy. All right. <laughs> when, you, when you preface it with all right, that means yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, um, so definitely um, this area, again, the, the Adena Mounds, I find it really uh, there are all these synchronicities that, again, I won't get into all this stuff, but it's like I do need to get the book done. You know, it's where it's like these are all the things. But I went to school at Transylvania University. Right. And a lot of people are like, what? You went to Transylvania, you know, just because of the, the element of like paranormal, you know. But my family is from there. My 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 daughter traced our family lineage back, which I didn't know anything about to my great great whatever they were actually owned a bakery in downtown Transylvania in no America. Yeah. Really? Yeah, That's I didn't funny. know any of this until a few years ago. My daughter got this program at a yard sale and she bought it for super cheap and she just started putting names and plugging names in and she walks up and she's like, "Do you know about this?" And I'm like, "What?" She goes, "Your family on your dad's side of the family are direct immigrants from Transylvania, and she tracked it right down to where the actual location was. My great, my my whatever they were before they immigrated here owned a bakery, like in the middle of the town that That's had been crazy. there in their whole family forever. So now I kind of want to go there just to see, like my heritage or whatever, because apparently my my real last name is a very common Romanian last name, and. Really? Um, yeah, I didn't. I had no idea about any of this stuff. So I actually have lineage lineage chasing me back all the way directly to Transylvania. That's crazy. That's dude. my moment of fame. <laughs> hey man, that's still that's amazing. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, yeah. but see, most people don't realize that Kentucky used to be known as Transylvania, right? The uh-huh. Transylvania Land Company owned most of this, and that's where Transylvania University comes from because eventually it was sold from the Transylvania. A land company to I think Virginia then finally Kentucky was made but um, but the guy that mapped all of the um, Adena mounds in America uh, early on was a guy named uh, Rafskeller right and uh, or I'm sorry Raffinesque his name was Raffinesque and uh, but that's they had a cafeteria called the Rafskeller at Transylvania University, and it's named after Raffinesk. And he's actually entombed at the college underneath the library. And that's also, that library has the only known sample of the Kentucky meat shower. You know, that oh. happens, right? And see, but when I was in college there, 
I wasn't researching any of this shit, right? I wish I had been. Now I'm like, well, well that <laughs> I could have went and looked at this, you know? Wow. And, uh, so that was a weird kind of thing. But anyway, but you look at Raffinesque, he, uh, or, or, he was um, studying Adena Mounds here. Well, he found these ones in, in Pulaski County, and then they're all through Kentucky into West Virginia, too, and Ashland, that whole area. Um, but this this uh, state of Kentucky and where Pulaski County is, you know, Dan was the first person to mention to me that Highway 39 that, that his farm is off of, that all of this activity is happening on, used to be part of the Great Warrior Way, which was a road – an old ancient Native American road that actually they they found because they were following buffalo. And if you've ever drank Buffalo Trace bourbon, yep. right? Yep. So I've done the bourbon tour. I've, right? I've done the bourbon trail. Yep. So so Buffalo Trace is a reference to these paths. They're, they're, they were called tra- Buffalo Traces. And so one of them, the one of the most famous was this Great Warrior Way of which they used to move. So it's one of the oldest roads in America is Highway 39 that runs through and it has all the strangeness on it. Yeah, you, you talk Adina. about Highway Yeah, you talk about Highway 39 a lot in your podcast with the Adena Mounds and then a lot of the things that uh, go on at Dan Dutton's farm and things like that. Um I find that very curious how it's one road that runs through there has such a high amount of activity, and I wonder why. I know, right? And then also you think of, like, the OTO and, like, Crowley and this whole idea of, like, 93 and then in 93 current. Yes. This is 39, mm-hmm. Highway 39, right? You know? Yeah, and if you want to do, take it even further, I mean, if, if you're rotating it, you're basically turning it upside down from 93 to 39, and then... The Adena were trying to basically open up a portal to the dark side of the Tree of Life, right? Yeah, and it's absolutely true, too. We found this. <laughs> this was strange. A dude earlier this week, the, the alien grave mountain guy that I mentioned at the beginning, right? Who, super old. He's like 85 years old, 90 years old. He was the um, mayor of Burnside at one point. I've tried to get him to let me interview him. He won't let me, but he's a very eccentric person. He just posted randomly on Facebook about how the Cherokee had killed all of their priests in one night, right? And that is a thing that Darian and I had found about this whole night side, you know, and this whole ritual to open up this portal. There's an old story where the Adena and the Hopewell, which is also apparently a Cherokee story, um, they were communing with alien intelligences or like dark spirits, and in one night wiped out their entire priest caste. Whoa! And <laughs> wow! And so like, and that's who preserved um, the knowledge of how to bury people, you know, and like how to how to dispose of how to to send people to the afterlife, right? And after they wiped out that entire caste of people, then they were just throwing people's dead bodies in the rivers. Wow, um, and, and there's tons of stories about this and tons of research, and that was a weird thing to find because it was like, did this? You've got these people in Cincinnati, the Baker Ball. You've got Kenneth Grant. They're all talking about this, and then you've really got real stories from Native Americans and from the Cherokee and from researchers of the Hopewell and Adena saying 
that there was some contact between people here in America prehistory with something else, something other. And that contact caused them to kill all of their priests. In wow. this you know, it's weird, man. It's the it's Lovecraft. It's so Lovecraftian. It's farcical. You know, I'm yeah. just like, this is laughable at this point that any of this shit is being suggested. And that's like, and you dig into it, and it's like, there were people that really believed this. Like the Bait Cabal absolutely believed this to be true, and yeah. were acting on those beliefs. You know. Yeah, and then you go into cybernetics, which basically I feel like goes into more a scientific description of what a Tulpa or an Egregor would be. Um, you, they're basically, you, there's the thought that they could be creating all this events based on the belief of it alone. That's, I mean, that, that's the only thing. Early on, when we interviewed Stephen Snyder, the parapolitical researcher, who has become a big part of this story, even in stuff else, now in the second season, right? Some stuff we didn't release that I'm going to tell you guys about, and you're going to be like, what? (laughs) 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 But uh, um, uh, anyway, also, thanks for talking to me tonight, too, about all this stuff and and telling you these crazy stories. But I love um, it. (laughs) But but, but, so. God, what were we? What, what, I've lost my train of thought now. Uh, oh, cybernetics. I don't know right? how you've maintained sorry. it for this long. <laughs> sorry, 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 sorry. All right, so cybernetics, right? So we were talking to him early on about all this stuff, and he was mentioning um, things about the Hellfire Club in England, right? And it turns out the Hellfire Club that Benjamin Franklin was a part of, and all these like early people um, that founded America were a part of. Um, the Hellfire Club is near Warwickshire, and that's where the this really famous cybernetics department, like College of Cybernetics, was founded. Interesting. It's actually, but it's actually mentioned in James Shelby Downard's, you know, autobiography, which is not. Again, I don't actually believe James Shelby Downard wrote what he wrote. Right? If you guys. Right. Are, <laughs> of any of this stuff right i do like he's a real person he totally existed i've proven it i found it richard spence has found the stuff too i found some stuff that we're going to release which no one else has found which is crazy (laughs) right he went to center college man 35 minutes north of somerset oh wow and and like he's deeply tied to kentucky and he's the originator of synchro mysticism you know, this whole concept of like, you know, uh, mystical toponymy and this idea of, of, of synchronicities and of meaningful coincidences. I think um, a guy. Yeah, named- I know I know what toponymy is, but for those that don't, toponymy is basically just the idea that something can take on the presence of its name or its name can put that presence onto the location. Yeah. Like truth and consequences. You know. Yeah. Or, um, you know, there's a place here in, in Pulaski County near where the mines are that all this crazy stuff happens. And it's called Omega, right? And then there's just all these names, this all around the county, these weird names of things that seem to have more significance, you know. Um, but I, I, I've been a huge fan of Downard for years. And it turned out that the more we got involved in this mystery, the more that Downard – 
became a part of it. And none of that, the, all of that was cut out of the, of the first season. I've since hired a private investigator. Oh my who, God. <laughs> who, who has, no, this is crazy too, man. Who has, cause I was like, I know, cause I, I did the re, I went deep, man. It's the downer shit ties so weirdly into this in a way mm-hmm. that's not explained in the first season that it's scary. And, and this whole, there's a lot of weird, like white supremacy shit. And some of the, like, you know, Jim Brandon and, you know, uh, Grim, it was Grimstead, you know, and the dude published a lot of like really bad stuff politically, you know I mean? Like just, just terrible stuff, you know? And it, it's so strange how Downard is, there's even a mention of the connection of uh, an artist at Rookwood Pottery in Cincinnati, which do you know what Rookwood Pottery is? Do you guys? Heard? I I I'm not familiar with it. No, so, I, I can't say I am so, either. So in Cincinnati, it's this like over a hundred years old place, right? Pottery place, and they um, they've produced tiles. That have been used in the Middle East, right? Like the you know, like the huge palaces are are covered in rookwood. Like it's a famous place um, that that produced these like ceramic tiles. And there's a mention in Downard's stuff in his autobiography, which again I think is is suspect. And that's what we're trying to figure out. But they mention mm. this artist in residence at Rookwood, right? I bring it up to Dan Dutton. Well. There's only ever been one artist in residence since 1920 at Rookwood. And guess who that was? It was Dan Dutton. <laughs> oh, wow. Right? So, so it's like, it's like what? And Dan even was like, are you serious? I was like, yeah, dude. It's really strange. And so, so I hired a private investigator to help me figure out, because no one knows how Downer's life ended, or if any of it's true, and so in the next couple of weeks, we'll we'll know exactly what really happened. <laughs> so, so that's become a huge weird part of the story, where it's like this whole synchro mysticism and this concept, you know, that these dudes that Par Adam Parfrey, uh, who did Feral House Publishing and uh, published, you know, Downard's works and. Uh, Michael Hoffman and William Grimstead, right? That we that we were investigating. There's a weird part of the story that involves all of those guys and Downard and Downard's connection to Somerset and Downard's connection to us. That's that's all going to come out too. Which again, I'm like, this is all another level of strangeness that I'm like, what is this? What does this mean? You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't, I don't. Like, why would all of this be happening in this place? And But it's like, it is the largest spike of geomagnetic energy in the Western Hemisphere. So it's like, is it that? Is that drawing all of these things here? But the cybernetics thing, right? Is it because it is an information structure? Is it because... What we're talking about with even magic, you know, I mean, I I thought cybernetics was just, you know, Terminator, right? (laughs) I didn't realize it was the study of controlling systems. And so then it's like, well, that sounds like what magic is. 
right? right? If you were to define magic, magic is learning to control systems. And so, yeah. so, so then when you look deeper into this, it's like this whole thing that Kiel said, you know, that John Kiel said that when you look at the phenomena, it starts looking back at you, right? It all just sounds like second-order cybernetics. And that really, when you get to the eighth episode of Penny Royal, you know, that's really where I, I sort of present that concept because that's what made the most sense to me that all of these synchronicities that were happening, you know, that we – we have all these things that happen to us every day. It's the things we focus on and that we that we look at that looks back at us. And then it's like this feedback loop. Yeah. And, this, and, and throughout this investigation, all of these things have felt like feedback loops. They felt like the more that I or Darren – Yeah, the or, more you poke at it, the more yeah. it's going to poke back. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and, and like – that does. We can describe it as whatever you know. We can say second order cybernetics. We can say magic. We can say synchro mysticism. Whatever you want to call it, right? But there is some aspect of reality that is undeniably weird and strange and beautiful and terrifying. That in these instances you find yourself in, and that's where I think we found us. You know, found ourselves. And that's where we are now. And that's why it's like, do I know what's happening? I have no idea. Do I know what the answers are? I don't think the point of this is even knowing that there are answers. I think the point of this is just the journey of experiencing this. That's that's exactly what I tell people when they come in and when they come to me and say, Hey, I want to get involved in the paranormal. I want to get involved in ghost hunting. I want to get involved with all this stuff. And the first thing I say is, well, why do you want to do this? Are you doing this because you're trying to prove something to somebody or that you're trying to, um, that, um, you're, you're trying to be involved with what's going on or, or, or what kind of answers are you looking for? You know, cause for me, I'm no longer – I've been doing this stuff for so long and investigating this stuff and I've been a part of this for so long now that I've gotten to a point that it's like I'm never going to find an answer to any of this stuff. So at this point, it's not about finding the answer. It's about the journey for me. You know, I can I can gather all this evidence. I can. It's much like you're going through right now. You can find all of these synchronicities. You can find all of this weirdness, all of this stuff that in some way ties to one another. But at the end of the day – when somebody says to you, what is the answer to all this? You don't know. And you're probably better educated on this than most of the people out there. Cause we've been going at it for two hours now and you're just continuously throwing stuff out there one after another, but ultimately you don't really know anything, but yeah. tomorrow morning you're going to get up and you're still going to go out and you're going to go find more, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Plus, plus, plus I got to go to work, you know, I'm not tomorrow, but <laughs> yeah. Monday, you know, like I got to go to work and I got to do, the normal job I have and I come home to my wife and my kids and then I still work on this, but it's like how it's hard to, to see some of this stuff and then to really just be like, well, let's go back to mundane reality. You know, like it's, it's, um, I don't know, man, it's just a strange thing, but it's also, I feel lucky, you know, to, to get to, to see this angle on things you know um i guess i guess i would say the ultimate question and i don't know if you would agree with me on this but what's what's the driving force behind all these synchronicities what's causing this what's creating this and why so 
So <laughs> different people have different theories, right? Yeah. Um, I would I would say that um, that Steven Snyder. I'm, I don't want to speak for him, but I would say that he thinks, based on his research and his interaction with us, and his now he's become a part of this story, is that it was a ritual working of some sort that occurred in the 1970s that is affecting things today, even on a political scale. I think he would even say that there's a strange connection to Trump being elected and events that happened here, which he's got a book, you know, and, he, and we've been on his, you know, podcast a lot, the farm, but I think that would be his thing. I'm, I'm not there. You know what I'm saying? Like that's fascinating to me. Those, those elements of it are fascinating. I'm not there. Um, yeah, no, I don't think anybody ever will be. <laughs> I guess no, no, that's no, no, the no, ultimate no. goal. <laughs> no, I mean, but but you know, but Darian has his whole thing. You know, the cybernetics thing made sense to me, but it's like I don't, I don't know. It's just such a like. I guess that's the thing that, and it's and Darian said he was like, dude, this is so terrifying and so beautiful. You know, the terror and the beauty of it, and. And that's what it still is for me is like it's terrifying that some of this could be real or is even real in just a numinal sense, right? Let's just say it's it's real in a sense that we've even thought about it that way, right? Or other people have thought about it that way. But also it's incredibly beautiful to see things see reality functioning this way, right? To see this story and all of these events stacked on top of each other, because it's like it belies that there is something greater going on. What that is, it doesn't even matter. It's just <laughs> that there's a structure to it, right? And it's a structure. You sound like me. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. Does he not is. sound like me? He really does. I'm like, but why? <laughs> it's, it's true, like it is dude. an important like, why. It just is. <laughs> it's just like it's like I don't know what the answers are, but there's a weird structure, and we're interacting with it, you know, and and it's somehow it's interacting with us, and that's why I came up with the cybernetics thing because. How else can you explain this? But I don't know if that's it. That's my best guess. That's our best guess. But it's like it's beautiful and amazing and terrifying to exist and to to find the edge of something, right, that is bigger than all of this. And then that's what I was trying to – my point of the show was to tell people that, like, we're all living in this weird time. When everybody's telling you that nothing is real, right? That everything is fake, that, you know, there are no news, don't trust scientists, like the whole world around you is false. And I'm like, but that's the perfect place for people to start believing in magic. And I'm not even saying like ceremonial magic or casting spells, but I'm just saying that there's another layer to all of this. That is absolutely amazing. And yeah, and most people can't see it because we're caught up in the daily lives of paying the bills, taking care of the kids, getting, getting back and forth to work. We're so locked up and, and just trying to live and just get by, plus dealing with all of the craziness 
you have going on politically and especially now with the virus and everything that you get locked into this world where you, you really can't see beyond it because you're so busy just trying to live that when somebody comes along or, or when you do get a glimpse outside the window that there's something else beyond out there, it, it it's kind of hard to comprehend. It's kind of most people just can't comprehend it. They can't they can't register that there's something else there. But then you get the people like yourself that once they start digging and once they start seeing, your eyes become open and the world becomes a very different place. And it's kind of like the real world that you live in, the get up and go to work and every day, that's just something that you do. But the other world that is out there, that the one that you're interacting with and that you're discovering and stuff, that's the world where it's like, it's kind of like the little mermaid. I want to be part of that world, you know? <laughs> but you kind of don't. You do, but you don't. So, right. Right. you know. That's, no, that's exactly it, Ben. I mean, that that's the thing is like, it's just, I don't know, it's amazing. That, and two, like, I do you think. You kind of have to create another life to be able to interact with that world, to, you know, outside. That That's probably why I've got like the pseudonym or whatever, but. You 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 almost have to you almost have to create a separate thing to be able to interact with that, or else the two worlds just don't mesh. You know, it's true. No kidding. And like we'll talk about once we get off air, like there are things <laughs> that have happened since this came out that are not threatening, but definitely it's just things that you wouldn't think that you would have to be concerned with. That now my wife's like, dude. You should have thought that. shit's getting real. Yeah, like, this is a problem. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, but but also, but at the same time, I can't not interact with it at this point. You know, like the things that are happening and the things that are playing out. Like, I want to see them to a conclusion, but I know there isn't a conclusion. I know that it really is just the journey that matters the most, right? Absolutely. And and, and like. I can't, and that's what Richard Spence told us too. He's like, you can't marry any conclusions. You just have to let it all happen and just experience it. And then for you, it's going to be what it is. And for other people that become involved in it, they'll also, it'll be for them what it is. But you can't force it to any conclusion because if you do, then you're going to miss the signal the communication that it was trying to provide you know and i think that's yeah. totally true you have to just at this point it's like you're on the river and whichever way it buffets you whichever way it drags you you know whatever shores it throws you on and drags you off of you just have to have to let it yeah you know well we've had you on here for over two hours now so which is fine i'm pretty sure i could talk to you for another couple of hours without a problem oh yeah <laughs> but um Tell people where they can find you, where, you know, how to find your podcast, um, anything that you want them to know about you or in regards to this kind of stuff. Yeah, so um, we're on all the major platforms, uh, Apple Podcasts, um, Spotify. I think the show looks really beautiful on, pot- on Spotify, um, just the way that they do, do their um, the, the presentation of shows, color-wise, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But definitely uh apple spotify all the others all the other platforms were there um you can go to uh pennyroyalpodcast.com um the all the episodes are there as well um we have a patreon um which is the liminal lodge um if anybody is involved interested in being involved in the investigation um that is we have a uh secret facebook group 
um, and a Patreon page, obviously, the Liminal Lodge. Just look up, um, go to Patreon and look up uh, Penny Royal, and you'll find it. Um, all of this stuff we're talking about, all these news, newspaper articles, all of my research, everything that we've been talking about tonight, I've provided that in the Liminal Lodge. And it's this great community of people already, which has totally surprised me, that are digging into this mystery. And they're a part of it. You know, the second season is really a continuation of this story. And all these things that are happening now to us that have been happening, you know, we're sharing it with that community. Um, They're helping us. I mean, there's stuff that I didn't even think to look at that they're finding and telling me, which is now becoming part of the second season because they're adding to the story. Because, again, again, in the cybernetics thing, right, it's like the more observers you add to this, you know, the more complexity to the system. So, um, but definitely check that out. And, um, yeah, you know, um, those are the main places. But if anybody has any crazy stories about Kentucky or just in general that they want to share with us, um, go to PennyRollPodcast.com and, Hit us up because we uh, we love mysteries so and folklore. Oh, when yeah. you started this, did you only intend to do one season? You were like one yeah. and done, and that was it. That was it, man. I, I was like, we're gonna do. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I was always inspired by Shit Town, right? You know, S Town on NPR, and because yeah. once I once I started doing this, and it became that, right? All these people telling me things, and we were involved in it. I was like, well, hell, this is kind of like shit town or cereal, you know? And that's what yeah. I wanted it to be. And uh, I, I was like, this is it. It's a one-off. You know, we're going to do eight episodes. I actually thought we were only going to do seven episodes, and then I made it eight. But then we couldn't fit everything into it. And I was like, well, we're, we've got to do a second season. And then all of these other things have happened. <laughs> so I'm like, well, we've got we've got enough for another eight episodes. So Hey, I'm excited. Yeah. I... I was thrilled with your podcast, so I'm excited to check out season two. Thank you, seriously. Then thank you guys again for like having me on tonight, like taking tonight to take <laughs> two and a half hours and just like <laughs> listen to me tell you guys all of these crazy stories. So. No, we I was we were looking forward to this. I, yes, like I said, she she was <laughs> she was like I've got these notes and I've got these questions and I've got this and I've got that and I'm like I'm just gonna ask him a couple of things and let him tell his story. <laughs> <laughs> And then I just got enamored with listening, and I was like, well, he's hitting everything I was going to ask anyway, so I'm just going to let him go. Yeah. <laughs> but thank you guys, seriously. So. Oh, thank you very much for coming on here and telling the story. I'm very much looking forward, when you get season two going, to having you back on here again and, and hearing another two and a half hours of craziness, because uh, I, I love this stuff, man. I just, it's been a while since we've touched on the really strange, and you have you have delivered it in spades. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, guys. Want to see ghosts in your own home, learn how to speak to the dead, or go on a sightseeing tour of hell? At Curious Publications, we take wonderfully odd public domain books lost to obscurity and give them new life. Shop CuriousPublications.com Bully, bully, bully! Listen up, all you dapper gents and dishy danes. Wanted to take a hot second, pull up a seat next to the Victrola, and listen along with all your friends on the Alex Cast. Four to five doctors agree that listening to the Alex Cast will stimulate your vigor and put a little bit of pop in that collar. You know what I'm saying, gentlemen, and you might even know what I'm saying, ladies. 
So tune in to the AlexCast, available at all quality podcast dealerships. You can find us on iTunes, on Stitcher, or simply go to alexcast.com. Alex is spelled with two X's. The extra X stands for extra quality. So that was Nathan. Um, what you guys didn't hear was the two-plus-hour conversation that we had with him <laughs> off of the air, which was even more bizarre and weird. Awesome. And, and yes. incredibly strange. That guy's is that guy's got a lot going on. <laughs> yes. There's, there's a whole lot there that's coming. It gets deep and awesome, I think. On to something. The strangeness of it and the depth of it is definitely awesome, but I don't know... Like, he's he's really in this deep. Yeah. That being an eight-episode podcast definitely does not cover or scratch the surface of what's going on behind the scenes and the stuff that's coming up even further. Like, when he does this season two of the podcast... How exciting. I'm so excited, because I think that's what, you know, we kind of got a little taste of was just what's going to go into the second season, which is really thrilling. What does he not put in and what does he put in? You know, I don't know. I guess we'll see. <laughs> like we're, I would hate to, I would hate to be the one putting that show together because there's so many ties and, and strange things that are further going out there beyond what he's talking about here. So I'm a little worried about the guy, actually. <laughs> I'm a little worried because, like, me and you, we've both been doing this for a very long time. Yes. So we can handle we can handle the weirdness because he's got weirdness going on, and we can, we can handle that weirdness. It's like, okay, that's... Yeah, and there's points where I've chosen to step away, where I feel like, you know, there's other things that I need, to, uh, that I need my attention more than that mm-hmm. as far as importance, which I'm sure he'll know you know, where to draw the line as well. I mean, depending. Because he's throwing stuff at us and we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, well, that'll, yeah, that'll happen. Yeah. Oh, you'll get that too. Yeah. That's yeah. Not and he's like, what the fuck? You know, he's like flipping out and we're like, yeah, this is, um, this is a little bit more than you probably signed up for, but you're in the pool now. <laughs> I mean, to be all honest with you, if the journey's what's important, then this is quite the, quite the ride. He is on the journey. He is definitely on the journey and there is definitely. Yeah. There's there's too many weird things. Something is interacting with him or poking at him in some way. But that's the that's the nature of all of this stuff. Is like, yeah, you know, me and you've had this conversation before, where it's like you're never going to completely understand what's out there. So no, ever. Like me and you could probably handle a little bit more of what he's going through a little bit easier. Where me and you are looking at it and go, wow, that's really fascinating and strange. But don't go any further than that. You know, stay yeah. stay in your lane. I mean, there's been moments where I've maybe delved a little too far. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I'm waiting to see what he's got coming up, you know. But I, I want to go down there. I think I'm I think I'm going to. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, especially after, you know, what he brought up about my own personal experience. So I hope that he, that's included in the second season. That that little tidbit, yeah. It'd be nice, you know. The, the thing is, he's got so much. There, there's so much information he has. Like I've I've used this joke before, but he reminds me of the meme where you've got the guy with all the pictures on the wall and the strings connecting, and the guy's pointing at the wall, like you know, this is all in our, like the conspiracy, crazy conspiracy guy. <laughs> 
But the problem is, is the things that he's saying aren't conspiracies. Like they're legitimately linked together. Well, yeah, it's all like documented and well observed. Anyways, we've been we've been doing um, we've been in front of these microphones for since well, God, five hours. Yeah, yeah. I, I have work shifts that don't last this long. So um, oh. <laughs> Very true. If people want to get in contact with you about your investigations and your research and because uh, you do go out and do investigations and you go out and talk to people and you do, you you, you know, you do the note working and all that stuff. Yeah. So where can people find you if they want to get in touch with you? Um, well, to kind of I, my focal point is everything, but I really like to focus on working with entities and with people. I feel like it's all a team effort if I get the chance to do it. So, but I'm on uh, Facebook, obviously, Ashira VII, and then uh, also uh, people can, con- can contact me via email, Ashira7 at Gmail. So, yeah, that's the two places. And I go all over. I'll go, you know, I think uh, 11 hours is the longest I've driven. So, mm-hmm. well, this has been fun. Yeah. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. It was fun. <laughs> I'm glad to, that your first episode here was was definitely on the on the full spectrum of weirdness. <laughs> yes, love it. Just where I like it to be. Because <laughs> this is officially the longest show that I've ever put out on here. I think so. You know, um, I don't know by the time if I've released this, I've made it into two episodes or not at this point. So we'll we'll have to see what happens. Because editing this, I'm sure was was a blast. So. <laughs> All right. Nice. We're going to call it good. This is Rojan from Detroit. You can close it out however you want. All right. Uh, Bye. (laughs) Peace, folks.